1: Time now for the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Happy Friday, Eve great to have you with us 701 your time check brought to you by Clarkson jewelers an officially licensed rolex jeweler michelle smallman randy Carricker. good morning how you doing
4: i'm doing well randy good morning to you and happy friday to you because you're off tomorrow
3: i am off tomorrow and then you're off for a couple of weeks after that so we won't see each other for a while
4: oh it's our last show together the whole band getting together and uh last time in a long time yeah
3: until after the super bowl
4: yeah i'm gone for a minute i'm gone like 15 days
3: have a good time thanks be great hey we have uh breaking news adam schefter reporting right now that the broncos are hiring nathaniel hackett the packers offensive coordinator as their new head coach replacing vic fangio so put two and two together and you've got aaron Rodgers as the quarterback of the broncos next year
4: it seems like that's the case i was listening to um Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Get that right? Oh, yeah. Great um, show. <laughs> uh, well, we were getting ready for the show here and Kimberly A. Martin, ESPN NFL reporter, had tweeted that Aaron Rodgers would have interest in Denver if a coach from Green Bay were to be hired as the head coach in Denver. Obviously, that's the case now with Nathaniel Hackett, their offensive coordinator for the past three seasons, getting the job in Denver. So, yeah, one would like to uh, connect all of those dots and think Aaron Rodgers will be the next domino to fall in denver he
3: says rogers that he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild and they have a lot of cap issues and they really did go out and trade for jordan love they think they're pretty smart and they have been congratulations to them for tri- for drafting Aaron Rodgers while well, brett Favre was still in his prime they drafted uh jordan love michelle traded up to get him with the thought that this would be the case and I would not be at all surprised if they started next season with Jordan Love as their quarterback and had a really different looking roster.
4: I hope that they were right in the selection mm-hmm. of Jordan Love. You have to know the, the people that you have internally and what makes them tick. I have to imagine that the powers that be in Green Bay knew that when they made that selection, it was going to enrage Aaron Rodgers. You had to know that that was going to happen. So they had been, I I would think at least that they knew that this was going to be an inevitability when they went out and got Jordan Love. I just hope that he's the right pick for them because if you alienated one of the greatest of all time because of this pick and it doesn't pan out for you, that's going to be something that haunts them forever.
3: But. Go back to our segment the other day on quarterbacks beyond the age of 30 winning. Aside from Tom Brady, quarterbacks beyond the age of 30 aren't leading their teams to Super Bowl victories. And maybe they were looking at that statistic and saying, "Okay, Big Ben didn't win beyond 30. Eli didn't win beyond 30. Breeze didn't win beyond 30. The only time Peyton won beyond 30 was with that great defense. Perhaps they were thinking ahead and saying, well, this guy's going to be 38 Maybe we need to get the replacement. Whether it works or not, we need to move on from this guy. Yeah, before
4: before it's too late. Okay, Randy, what do you think about this? Do you respect Aaron Rodgers for wanting, if he does in fact go to the Broncos, for wanting to jump into the shark-infested waters of the AFC, especially the AFC West with Mahomes, Herbert, obviously Derek Carr and the Raiders are no slouch. You know that Joe Burrow's in the AFC, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen is over there. Or do you think that he's crazy for leaving a division in the NFC North where the Vikings are getting a new coach, the Bears are in rebuild mode, the Lions are the Lions? It's almost a guaranteed ticket punch to the postseason if he stays where he is.
3: Right. I don't know if he's thinking about that, though. Don't you think that he's narcissistic enough to only be thinking about himself and not thinking about the surrounding uh, terrain of uh, of what's out there? You're exactly right. You're 100% right. Right. I'll bet you that's never entered Aaron Rodgers' mind.
4: Well, the great ones don't think that they can't get it done. So he's probably looking at all of the quarterbacks that I just listed and and thinking, I'm better than them. Mm -hmm. I'm better than all of them, and I can beat all of them. And that's what makes the great ones great, is that they don't let that self-doubt creep in. (laughs) They, They believe in themselves before anybody else does, and long after everybody else has stopped.
3: And by the way the Broncos at the moment have $44 million in cap space. So they could get both Rodgers and Devontae Adams.
4: Which would be the the next call I make. But clearly yeah. he's in touch with someone there or his people are. If this is the coach that he wanted to get there, they obviously had to have some knowledge of mm. that for them to go out and make this move. And I'm not suggesting that Nathaniel Hackett isn't a good head coaching hire without the possibility of Aaron Rodgers. But I would imagine that that's a, a pretty big reason in the pro column if you're going I, through candidates. If you're a head
3: coaching candidate and you're in the interview and saying, oh, oh by the way, I can bring Aaron Rodgers with me.
4: I'd be like, okay, sign here. Right. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. That's a check mark in your column. The Blues are back in action tonight taking on the Flames at Enterprise Center. Six o'clock with Alex Ferrario's pregame here on one oh one ESPN. And then Curbs and Joey will have the call at seven o'clock. Oscar Sunquist talked to the media yesterday and talked about that seven one loss on Monday night.
5: But it felt like we didn't have the push like we like we had uh, before, uh in previous games. Uh felt like we we weren't sharp enough with with our passes and 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 our details to the game and i don't know we, we seem tired uh and
6: I, I mean it was a hard road trip and uh but same time that that kind of game that that can happen and uh it's it's unacceptable uh from from our side and shouldn't matter if you if you're tired or not you should you should we should play better than that
3: Here's our excuse, but no excuses.
4: (laughs) I don't even know if it's an excuse. It might just be reality. I mean, they had three games in four days. They went to Seattle and Canada. That's a a tough road trip, as he mentioned. And I I just watched that game and they looked gassed. At times, they just did not have their legs. And sometimes it can sound like an excuse when, in fact, it's reality.
3: (laughs) And sometimes a team needs a wake-up call. I don't think this team needed a wake-up call. And craig Bruby was asked yesterday if sometimes a loss can be good for a team and here's what craig Bruby had to say
5: i don't know if it can be good for you or not but again like it's it happened it's over with and we got to move on and we're, we we got to focus on tomorrow's game that's you know again we got to learn from it and uh move on and get ready for tomorrow's game like i'm not sure about a reset um I don't know what we'd be resetting, to be honest with you, but, you know, I didn't think we started very well in the Vancouver game, found a way to win, thought we played better in the second and third period, and then in Calgary it didn't get better.
4: Well, that's one thing about the Blues that I think a lot of people want to see after the All-Star break is them to come out firing a little bit more in the first period. Mm-hmm. They've they've had such strong second and third periods, so many dramatic come-from-behind wins that uh, at some point that just becomes part of your identity and part of your muscle memory that, yeah, we can get behind and we'll figure out a way to get it done and to pull out a win. But when you get to the playoffs, that's not necessarily an approach you want to take. Is okay, even if we get behind, no big no. deal.
3: Michelle, I I love the idea of going bananas over a 7-1 loss on January 24th, was it? Love the idea of going bananas. Oh, my gosh, the sky is falling. But then I think, well, they did lose 7-2 in Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals at home. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: So, Mm -hmm. And they still won the series and still won the Stanley Cup. So I think they can get away with a road 7-1 loss on January 24th.
4: Yeah, I think that they've probably already <laughs> forgotten about this game, and I think we yeah. should, too. I think if you look at <laughs> you look at all of the other trends that we've seen from this team this season, this one's clearly one of the outliers. I don't think that this is indicative of what the Blues are at all. I think they got on the board first, and then they look tired. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and Calgary is a good team. And Matthew Kachuk, I mean, he's auditioning for his next right, job. Yeah. Of course uh, Matthew Kachuk is going to come up. out five assists. I mean, yeah. future blue Matthew Kachuk has to make his presence known.
3: The Billikens rolled George Washington last night at it's Arena, 80-67. We asked Travis Ford yesterday if he ever tells a player or tells the team, hey, look, we want to get X amount of shots for a player. He said, no, he's only done it with one guy who wouldn't shoot. Last night, big game Gibby Jim, Gibson Jimerson, goes 11 of 20 from the floor, including 6 of 11 from three-point land. And he winds up with 28 points. Francis Okoro had 22 for the Billikens, and they rolled George Washington 80-67. to 67. Go Bills.
4: Go Bills. And Randy, you were the guy in blue in the stands, right? I was, yeah. yeah and how and, was it? Uh,
3: it was good, except Coach didn't wave at me.
4: Oh, he didn't? No. But you you told him on the show yesterday. I heard you say it. I'll be the guy in blue. I know.
3: and He knew you'd be there. did not happen. Wow. So. Well, you know,
4: he was just so locked in coaching. I, I wouldn't take it personal.
3: Okay, I'll, I'll try not to. <laughs> A couple of other notes for you. This one is uh, our show today. So uh, I was talking to our producer, Matt Rocchio, about this. At 8.15, John Kelly grew up, went to high school here in St. Louis, went to Parkway North. 8.30, Joe Buck went to MICDS. He's doing the NFC Championship game on Sunday. Mm -hmm. 8.45, we have Jeremy Rutherford. At uh, 9.15, we have Trent Green, grew up in St. Louis. And uh, went to high school here in St. Louis, went to Vianney. And of course, we're going to start with Greg Amzinger at 730. Uh, We've got all St. Louis born and bred guests today.
4: And then the three of us, also St. Louis born and bred.
3: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So
4: St. Louis, your home for broadcasters.
3: It is. Yeah, and we don't even have all of our broadcasters. But uh, Kevin Harlan, born in St. Louis, grew up, you know, spent a huge part of his childhood here.
4: I feel like we're missing another obvious Danny Mac. one. Danny Mac. He's, he used I to mean, be
3: with us on Thursday and Friday mornings.
4: Legendary. Curbs
3: will have the call tonight on the Blues. Grew up here in St. Louis. And Joey.
4: And I feel like we're missing more, too. We are. So, Fran you,
3: Charles from MLB Network.
4: There you go. Um, who's on NBA TV? Matt Matt, Matt Weiner. Weiner yeah. Matt Weiner. Yeah. Um,
3: Can't get away from us. We're all over the place. Do
4: you think per capita we churn out more broadcasters than any other major city in America?
3: I don't think it's even close. I don't, I don't think so either. I don't know that anybody can pull that off.
4: And Bob Costas is not from St. Louis, but One got a start in St. Louis. He's well, our guy.
3: And Dan Duroff is our guy too, That's right? That's right. Spent more time here than anywhere else. Right. So there you go. Hey, our 101 ESPN Championship Bash is Sunday at Helen Fitzgerald's. Join members of the 101 ESPN crew, Carshield, and Bud Light for the AFC and NFC Championship games. They have tons of TVs at Helen Fitzgerald's. You can watch the games and eat great food and enjoy the drinks. A bunch of giveaways throughout the day, including a grill, jerseys, tickets, and more. The bash kicks off at noon. Anthony Stalter and I will have a live pregame show leading up to kickoff at 2 p.m. Hope to see you at Helen Fitzgerald's Sunday for this year's Champ Bash brought to you by Carshield and by Bud Light.
4: That's going to be a really fun time. Football. Randy, Anthony, talking football, wings, beer, championship games. Awesome.
3: Stop on by and say hi. Can win right. a grill?
4: I mean, what are you waiting
3: for? I, I want to win that grill. <laughs> we're off and running on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Randy, Matt, coming up. Sick of it. Get your text into the air comfort service. Text line 65780. Sick of it is next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101
3: ESPN. I'm over it, Sharon. I
6: can't take this no more.
3: I am done. I'm sick of it. Do you hear me?
6: Sick of it. I can't take it
3: anymore.
2: These people are the worst. Carricker and Smallman are sick of it.
3: Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and Matt Rockio here. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero four. Sick of it. And Mance knew he might not even know how sick of it came about.
4: That's right. You want to tell him?
3: Last season, Bradley Beal kept scoring a ton of points, and the Washington Wizards kept losing. And one night, he scored 47. They lost, and he had scored 40 in something like five consecutive games. And his wife hops on the Twitter machine and just types sick of it exclamation point exclamation point exclamation point and michelle and i have different ideas as to what she was saying i'm going sick of it and michelle's thought is
4: sick of it like emphasis on the sick of it
3: yeah so that's how we came up with this idea matt
0: i remember that tweet because i remember that stretch of basketball and being <laughs> extremely annoyed by the play of, of the wizards at the time i had no idea that was the genesis of this segment that's yeah. what it is yeah.
3: so Here's one, for example, USA Today, this morning, Jarrett Bell, Mm -hmm. noted cronky guy. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh. And the headline says, Rams' grand vision for home Super Bowl is almost complete. The Rams haven't even won the NFC Championship game, and I'm sick of it. Their grand vision, hopefully it doesn't happen. But it's not almost complete. You have to beat the 49ers, who have beat you six times in a row, and then you have to beat the Chiefs. That's the grand vision.
4: Well, he's probably thinking that they're one win away from being the home team in the Super Bowl.
3: I'm sick of it. I don't blame you. Grand vision. Give me a break.
4: I wonder if the Rams, because we know that they listen and read everything that's written Mm -hmm. about them. I mean, when they were terrible here in St. Louis, they were listening to every word that we said They hired a guy
3: just to listen to us. Yeah,
4: so you know that they're doing that in L.A. And we're seeing a lot of pro-Rams stuff coming Mm -hmm. out of different, um, obviously local in L.A. and national writers. I wonder if they made a little barter there because it just seems very random that all of a sudden there's this big piece in the L.A. Times trying to justify why the Rams Mm -hmm. can't fill their own stadium for the the uh nfc championship game i mean you would think that if you were a columnist there the story would be why aren't people more into this
3: here's what happens let me
4: let me defend the rams here I,
3: i can tell you this from experience is that kevin demoff will call you and keep you on the phone for a half hour saying well here's what's happening here's the reason this is happening here's why this is happening and he'll give you some dramatic excuse as to why they aren't doing what they should do Mm -hmm. and obviously here everything was a lie and there he's it's a rationalization it's a justification the reason that you don't have a great fan base there is because you don't have people from there and if you are a 25 year San Francisco 49er fan 21 year San Francisco I guess since the Rams left if you would have adopted the 49ers it would be 25 26 27 years right now You aren't leaving to join this group of Vagabonds.
4: Yeah. You might go to the game. I don't know if you would pay tickets to go, Mm -hmm. but if you're living in the greater L.A. area and someone offers you to go to the game, sure. Why not? It's going to be an awesome game. Check out the new stadium, but... I don't know if you don't have that emotional attachment to that team if you're gonna fork over 600 plus dollars yeah i mean it's a very expensive ticket so you would need to be very invested in the outcome of the game to want to spend that type of money at least i would think so
3: here's all you need to know about the delusion of the people out there is that the guy dylan o hernandez who wrote the piece in the la times the other day calling Uh, St. Louis a dump and uh, he was trying to compare Stan Kroenke to uh, Jed York the owner of the 49ers Mm. he called Stan Kroenke a peach of a guy
4: so he just didn't do any research at all no none at all but again if you so he just didn't even Google Stan Kroenke clearly not no he he wasn't
3: aware that Kroenke bought a ranch kicked a bunch of people that have lived there for 50 years off said ranch People elderly people that didn't have any income, fixed income people that couldn't afford to buy a new home, and one of them committed suicide. And in his suicide note said Stan Kroenke stole my home. That's the sort of guy that you're dealing with with Stan do and know
4: if I call him a peach? Maybe a bruised peach, but not a peach. Um, Okay, Randy, so you know that I don't really love Twitter. I think Mm -hmm. it's kind of a dark place, so I try to avoid it, but when I'm trying to find stories for your killing me smalls, I'll usually go on Twitter once a day to see what's trending. Maybe I can pull a story that we can discuss on this fine program. And, Randy, I am sick of every time that I get on Twitter to crowdsource for content. All I'm seeing on my timeline is people's Wordle scores. I don't play Wordle. I don't really know what Wordle is. But I'm really sick of everyone posting their scores. Don't of, disagree. It's a lot of
3: fun. I have been... Maybe I should knock yeah. it until
4: I try it. But it just feels like one of these FOMO things where can we not do anything anymore without having to tell everyone that we've yeah. done it? Like, should I, I tweet, ate my banana bread this morning? That's what you need. Had to do it in Sean. three bites. Yay me. Like, I mean, <laughs> it just feels like if somebody does something, we all have to rush right. to do it.
3: Yeah. And, and I, by the way, have been roped into Wordle because I get hey. asked every now. I don't share it on social media. Maybe but you should. my wife and my daughter, every single day, say, have you done Wordle yet? Have you done Wordle yet? And then they get mad when I beat them.
4: Oh, wow. So this is a family competition.
3: Yeah. And that when I beat them, I, by the way, this doesn't happen every day that I beat them. But like that one time out of every six or seven days that I do... It seems like there's a little bit of uh, upsetness on their part.
4: So you are the rare bird that is playing Wordle and not sharing your scores.
3: No, I'm not sharing wow, my scores. Wow, proud of you, proud of you. I always try to start with a word, and 65780, try to start with a word with like three different vowels. I don't even know
4: what you're talking about because I've never played oh, it. Like, All I see is these blocks, these colored okay. blocks and people patting themselves on the back for playing Wordle.
3: During this segment, and Matt, you weigh in here. Uh, I am actually going to play Wordle, and we'll see how many times I can, uh, or how how many times it takes me to do it, okay? I don't know
0: about you, Randy, but the problem with, my, problem with Wordle is that I find myself, I can think of a lot of four-letter words, and I can think of a lot of six-letter words, mm-hmm. but my ability to think of five-letter words in the moment is extremely
3: poor. I'm not clutching that in that way. I suffer major brain lock playing this game there's no doubt about it
4: but here's what i don't understand if you're posting your score because that's what it is right your score that people yeah. are sharing mm-hmm. you're literally just patting yourself on the back right like it's not giving any other wordle players any sort of clues or no. advantages so you're not even helping out your fellow wordle buddies you're just bragging right
3: yeah essentially if you get a good score now I've, i don't know if i've ever had a good score i just try to get it right
4: hmm. anyway
3: all right uh, what do we have on the text line matthew We
0: are looking right now at, let's see here. Oh, man, a lot of people are very angry today, but none of them are saying sick of it. People living in St. Louis are Kansas City Chiefs, quote-unquote, fans. Their owner was instrumental for the Rams leaving St. Louis.
4: (laughs) Randy, you want to go ahead with this one?
3: Yeah, it's just, it's a stupid, stupid, uneducated take. I am tired, I'm sick of stupid, uneducated takes.
4: Well, it just feels like... You, especially, who have been very tied into this entire process, have said, and I know not everybody gets to listen to our show all the time, but it just seems like the same narratives get brought up any time we talk about this. Exhibit A the chiefs are the enemy why why would people in missouri cheer for them they were a main contributor to the rams leaving or why did the lawyers come to an agreement a settlement when there could have been an nfl team on the table it just seems like there's a lot of misinformation that's out there and that it doesn't really matter how many times you or other yeah. people contradict that with yeah. facts that people just want to think what they want to.
3: Think. and here's the instrumental people okay Jerry Jones suggested to Stan Kroenke that he move the franchise because Kroenke had the money to build said stadium in LA Roger Goodell was complicit along with Eric Grubin because Goodell sent Grubin to st. Louis and said hey tell them to build the stadium and we had an actionable stadium here they get into the meeting and yes Clark Hunt because he is a businessman at his core he didn't think that LA could support two teams. By the way, he was right. So, his vote in the committee was for the pro- the, the the Inglewood project because it was only supposed to contain one team. He didn't want two teams moving. Mm-hmm. Business. And so that was why the vote came its way in the, in the committee vote. He was consistently, before and after the vote, behind St. Louis. The NFL likes to present a united front. That's why the generally their votes are 32 to nothing. This one was 30 to 2. Michael Bidwell and Jerry Richardson voted against the move. To say that Clark Hunt was instrumental in the Rams moving to Los Angeles is really a disingenuous and uneducated take.
0: Morning. I'm sick of hearing people in your line of work, not you, talking about how the Cardinals must upgrade
3: at shortstop. Oh, number one, we would like it, but number two, it's not happening. Uh, let me tell you something. Tell me. John Mozeliak doesn't lie. When John Mozeliak says we're comfortable with Paul DeYoung and we think that he can turn things around, he he's not trying to trick Scott Boris into s- taking less for Carlos Correa by saying that they're comfortable with Paul DeYoung. He says he's comfortable with Paul DeYoung because he is. And that's since 2008, since Mo got the job, that's been his MO, is when he has a press conference and says something like that, you gotta believe it because there hasn't been a time where he said, oh, we're comfortable with Player X, and then went out and spent a ton of money on a free agent to replace Player
4: X. Mo's MO, <laughs> get it? <laughs> um, I also think that they they might want to get more of a look at Sosa, and yeah. you, you might get to see that. but. The, the guy under contract is likely going to be here. I mean, yes. that's just what the case is. And I know that a lot of Cardinals fans looked at this crop of free agent shortstops, and they wanted them to go out and get a big name because Cardinals fans mm-hmm. are desperate for a team that they think is going to be a World Series contender, and they're looking at that position as a as an opportunity for growth. And maybe that growth is internal. We'll see.
3: And by the way, I'm not going to disagree with people that say the Cardinals should upgrade at shortstop because we'd all, I think every rational person believes they should upgrade at shortstop and go pursue one of the free agents. I'm just saying that I would be really surprised if it happened. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'd just be really surprised based on Moselleck's history and what he told us.
4: I was surprised that they went out and got, got Nolan Arenado, though, so you never know.
3: Yeah, you never do. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up next, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Greg Amzinger was the anchor for MLB Network's Hall of Fame show the other night. We're going to talk to him about the Hall of Fame and more on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: David Ortiz is the only member from the writers voted into Baseball's Hall of Fame for 2022. Greg Amzinger was the host of the show the other night on MLB Network. And our buddy, native St. Louis and product of the Lindenwood University, joins us now on 101 ESPN. Greg Amzinger, good morning. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I was
2: all smiles uh, during that show. I was happy with the outcome to see David Ortiz, a guy that I, I call a friend to get in uh rob parker who i think had a a very entertaining career we had him on as uh, one of the hall of fame right voters and he said it was a bad day for for baseball fans i couldn't disagree more and i wish i was sitting next to him so we could have argued more but the show was busy as it was i had bob costas next to me so that's a lot i mean bob bob bob's got a lot to say so I, i was dealing with uh you know the ultimate pundit. Uh, but I, I thought it was a great day. I thought it was an absolutely great day for baseball.
4: Well, Greg, here's your platform. Tell us why you disagree with him and why you think it was a great day, not a bad day for baseball.
2: Uh, look, it, this is beyond baseball in terms of uh, Bonds Clements. Forget Schilling for a second, because I think everyone knows a veterans committee will eventually put him in. Um, guys of his peers, he'll get 12 to 16 votes on electorate. You know, veterans committee. But Bonds Clemens, I'm sorry, this is right and wrong. What's right and what's wrong? And and there might be people that have uh, killed someone. I'm going to go all the way extreme. Have killed someone that's still walking around, and our our legal system let us down, and, and they got away with it, quote unquote. But just because those people got away with
3: it. By the way, why take shots at Ray to- Lewis on this show?
2: I'm not mentioning any names, but just because those people got away with it doesn't mean everybody that's ever murdered someone should be out of prison. That makes absolutely no sense. This broad stroke approach, it's like saying someone that stole a lollipop at a gas station is a thief. It's the same definition of a person who holds up a bank on Fifth Avenue with two getaway cars at gunpoint, okay? Okay that they're a thief as well. Thieves are thieves. No. Th- these are completely different uh, uh, worlds we're living in now. We have to think of what's right and what's wrong. And Bonds and Clemens define what was wrong. Forget the, the red tape, the nuances of, oh, when was testing, when there wasn't testing. Barry Bonds didn't know what he was taking. Stop. Come on, man. These two guys were the Lance Armstrong of baseball. They were. I covered the Tour de France, and I was so excited to do that. What I learned was 98% of the guys that were in that competition were doping, but they didn't have the resources to have the chemistry machine that Lance Armstrong had. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, they were winning the game of chemistry. It was the sweet spot of when steroids became gigantic and took over the industry in baseball, and it coincided with when their careers, which were already very impressive, had hit until, ah, they're after 30 years old, and they're already marquee guys entering free agency. They had more money than all the other players. They could surround themselves with the best chemistry, and that's why they went crazy and shattered what I believe is baseball's holy grail, and that is our stats. They busted our stats and to me, it's, it's between right and wrong. And it's wrong to put them in the Hall of Fame and celebrate their careers. That's what this is. You're celebrating them. And they didn't do they, – they, they were on the scale of 51-49 bad for the game. I don't care if you enjoyed watching Bonds hit the ball into the cove or, or, or Roger Clemens strike out 14 when he was 42 years old. I don't care what memories you have. What's right and what's wrong. And what message are we sending young people by celebrating these two guys? I'm glad the writers did what they did. And if you want to throw it on the writers and the BBWAA and say they're they're screwed up, they don't know how to do their job, let's just wait and see what happens. When they get thrown on a veterans committee, when you have former managers, former executives, some media, and a lot of Hall of Fame players, let's see when the majority of the electorate is made up of former players, how they're viewed. I would put the 401k that they don't get in again. They won't get in again because what they did was
3: wrong. So Greg, I guess precedent doesn't apply here. I I look at a guy like Jeff Bagwell's career, who hit in his first three years 15, 18, 20 home runs, then he hit 39, 31, 43, 34, 42. We saw Albert Pools at the age of 35, couldn't play anymore. Uh, Jeff Bagwell hits 39 at the age of 35. I I think it's reasonable to have suspicions. I think it's reasonable to have suspicions about guys who were throwing harder at the age of 38 than they were at the age of 35. And those are guys that are in the Hall of Fame already so are we just going to put these two guys Bonds and Clemens specifically as the face and say everybody else is cool but you define the era
2: I think they were the faces of the era and there were a lot of small wing men alongside uh, McGuire Sosa kind of kick started it do I think that baseball turned its head yeah I do absolutely I do do I think that there are Hall of Famers that were on steroids yes factual 100 percent, yes does that make all of this right no barry bonds and roger clemens made more money at the time than everyone else okay look there's there's one thing barry bonds could have done there's one thing barry bonds could have done that would have shown me that even though he cheated this is a forgiving society we live in people want to hear humility they do if barry bonds would have would have shut it down and retired one home run short of Hank Aaron's record, put him in the Hall of Fame. Classy thing to do. Classy thing to do. But to me, of all the crimes in sports, the most egregious of my lifetime was making Hank Aaron tape a congratulatory video that they played in San Francisco the night he broke Hank Aaron's all-time home run record. This is Hank Aaron who had death threats towards him and his family for getting set to break cleanly, might I add, cleanly break the, the king of all the powerful white guys in sports, Babe roots record, okay? He went through this, broke the record in, in, the, in the 70s when we weren't exactly all getting along. And, and you got Barry Bonds not caring two cents about that. And he's going to shatter Tank Aaron's record. To watch Hank Aaron congratulate him on a videotape, he wasn't there in person, thank God, but to to watch that, to me, was the most egregious sports crime. So, yeah, it it, it stinks that we got Hall of Famers in Cooperstown that were linked to to, uh, PEDs. I I hate that. I do. But there was something awfully special about Bonds and Clemens doing what they did, and they, they cashed in. They took their Cooperstown chips, and they cashed it in for the most money possible, and now we want to let them get celebrated? You already cashed in those chips, guys. Yeah, I know. Lesser than players are in Cooperstown. I get that. But guess what? This is a beautiful thing. I get to go to induction weekend, all right? I get to be around all these Hall of Famers. Do you know the, this old adage, the players police themselves? It's true in Cooperstown. There are Hall of Famers that snuck in that, that are clearly connected to PEDs. They're one and done. They don't come back anymore. They're not around these Hall of Famers. They're shunned by these Hall of Famers. So, so it, I've paid attention to that. They police their own. It's not like they go back to Cooperstown and everyone celebrates their career every single summer. No, they got in. But it's not a fun time for them when they're around the Hall of Famers that did it the right way. They have to hang out with those guys. So they policed themselves. Yeah, they got in. That's nice. And there's a financial kickback to that. But Bob and Clemens don't need the 700-plus grand a year for signing autographs because they made millions doing PEDs well into their 40s. So I don't feel bad about these two guys not getting it.
4: Well, Greg, make no mistake about it. I think David Ortiz is a Hall of Famer. I watched him single-handedly win a World Series versus the Cardinals. He obviously deserves to be in, but he also reportedly tested positive in 2003. It was never actually proven, but there is the connection to PEDs with David Ortiz as well. And from what it sounds like, he's just more likable. It seems like this is almost a popularity contest at this point, and we justify which guys we want to connect to PEDs or which one has the shadow cast too much over them and, and which ones don't.
2: Now, I I, I hear your point, but I do disagree. I think there is some to what you're saying in terms of his personality and the media liking him. Yes, it does matter. It really does. He's a good human being. I absolutely love David Ortiz. I really, really love the guy. So I'm biased on this. I'm going to let everyone know that. I am. But I will say this. Um, So Nelson Cruz tested positive for PEDs, I think it was 2012, and it made all of this go, oh, then maybe he wasn't the great home run hitter he was up until that point. He came back and signed a couple free agent contracts, and since then, since he came back, he's been the best, most consistent home run hitter uh, over the past decade. He has been, Nelson Cruz. What I would describe b- based on that performance is Nelson Cruz is swinging his way back into Cooperstown. Yes, what he did was wrong, and he questions everything he did up until the point in which he got busted. But once you come back, it's not like <laughs> – It's not like you're tested like everyone else. You're tested more frequently than everyone else. And in that article in 2009 that connected David Ortiz to the testing survey back in 2003, of which he failed, if you want to put into question everything he did up until that point, all through 2008, because he and Manny Ramirez were were noted in that article that you bring up, then yeah, go ahead. But from that point forward, look at what David Ortiz did. And, oh, by the way, Manny Ramirez got popped twice for PEDs and got suspended twice since that article came out. Didn't happen to David Ortiz. And if you talk to anybody like my good friend Chris Young, who was on on the air with yesterday, Chris Young was with David Ortiz last year, where he led the American League in OPS over 1,000, was an all-star, had the best 40-year-old season ever. Oh, Dan Shaughnessy, who writes in in the city of Boston, raised an eyebrow to the authenticity of that performance. But Chris Young was in the clubhouse, watching David Ortiz have to get his banged up feet, taped an hour before every single game. And he walked around like he had casts on his legs. This is a guy who dealt with the humility of aging. There were times in the 2010s where Terry Francona had to slide into the seventh spot in the lineup because the dude couldn't get a hit. He couldn't get a hit. Average was dipping. He had to really fight and claw and work out to get back. He was tested all the time so i think he had an opportunity to prove himself to the electorate all the while not making excuses for himself oh by the way blatantly denying that he ever did steroids did he think that he took some supplements or something that was maybe in the gray area he admitted that he was immature when it came to that but he clearly states he never did steroids i think when it comes to this there's a lot of similarities to what I was saying to Nelson Cruz. I think, Nelson, I think David Ortiz swung his way back into the good graces. And throughout all of that, had many more famous moments in the postseason and still was clutch, including in 2013 when he was incredible against the St. Louis Cardinals. I, I, I think David Ortiz is a Hall of Famer. I was expecting uh, some of the BBWA members to make him wait to his second year but I'm happy to see him as a first ballot Hall of Famer I have no problem with
4: it. Greg, we have MLB Network on in the studio all the time. We just saw the Greg's list and you telling great stories about David Ortiz. So share one with us. What's your favorite story or memory of Big Papi?
2: Oh my goodness, I have so many. Um, it was a unique list that I wanted to put together because um, you know, he is more, he transcends baseball. He he's a celebrity. He's a, he's a national celebrity and in many ways international celebrity. That happens to be a really good baseball player my favorite story is what, what's it's obvious it's number one on the list I, I hate saying everything ties back to me but it's a it personal story so i share it of course <laughs> Randy, you know, you know. so a- after the boston marathon bombing um we had planned a trip me and my family to go to boston and my son's favorite player is david ortiz uh, when he his first ever baseball game uh, was at sunway park we had great seats david came up to us. We were sitting right next to the dugout Fenway and held, picked up our our, our son before a game in uniform and took him down to the dugout. So my son was missing (laughs) right up until the first pitch. My little baby boy, he's like, he's like a year and a half old. He comes back up, gives me my son London and then hits a home run in his first at bat. It's a home run. My son goes crazy. So Boston marathon bombing happens. My son can't wait to see David because David makes a point to come and say hi. And my wife, for obvious reasons like it's that scary we shouldn't go we shouldn't go and I was agreeing with her you know what if it's heightened like this it's scary who knows what the city's going to be like a lockdown we'll we'll probably pass we're going to go to the the day the game after uh, the speech that he gave and David Ortiz we watched the game to see what the vibe was like at Fenway when he gave that speech and to watch the entire tone and tenor of, of the fans where the 40-plus thousand fans that were there go from tentative, timid, nervous to banging on their chest, proud of where they live, taking charge of the situation psychologically and emotionally. That was true and utter leadership. And it led me and my family to go, you know what? We're getting in the damn car. We're driving to Boston. We're going to have a great time. And we did. The dude is larger than life. He's a great human being. And I like celebrating people like that in Cooperstown. And I'm glad we will.
3: Before we let you go, a couple of negotiating sessions this week. How are you feeling?
2: I like it. I think it's really good. Um, You know, I was worried we were going to get, you know, you know, Nothing from the union. I was very concerned that the union was going to take all of this silence all the way through, you know, the month of February. We're going to start missing days of spring training and the union still wasn't going to talk like an upset, you know, spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not talking to you. Right. I was worried about it. But the fact that they got together in space in New York City, back-to-back days, these meetings lasted much longer than the inaugural seven-minute-long meeting, uh, and it, it, and the tone and tenor of what I'm hearing is actually it's, it's actually cordial, and and they're getting along in that room, and and they're coming to midway points and certain things. I'm very very optimistic. I'm I'm sticking to my guns. I do believe we will have. More than likely a truncated
5: spring training,
2: but I do not think we're going to miss a game, guys. I do not believe we will miss 162 games, uh, any of those 162 games. So I'm preparing to go to Arizona for spring training. So I'm already looking at golf courses, Randy. That's how optimistic I am.
3: We're there. We're there. Sounds fun. We'll, we'll play. <laughs> uh, sounds, I'm in.
2: I'm in. You beat me last time. I got to get your
3: back. <laughs> You're the best. Thanks so much. Great stuff this morning, and we always love having you on. All right, guys. You have a great day. You too. See you later. That is our friend, Greg Amsinger, MLB Network on 101 ESPN. Coming up, a quick take it or leave it with Michelle and Randy on Character and Smallman.
1: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing.
3: Got a quick Take It or Leave It for you here on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. At 8.15, John Kelly at 8.30, Joe Buck at 8.45, Jeremy Rutherford at 9.15, Trent Green. So a lot more coming your way here on 101 ESPN. Michelle, take it or leave it, baseball's Hall of Fame conundrum could be solved very easily if they would just adopt the football rule for the Hall of Fame and vote on what happens between the white lines.
4: I will take that 100%. We were just having um, a continuation of our debate with Greg Amzinger <laughs> during commercial break, and it's amazing to me that every person that is voting or having this discussion is looking at this through a different lens. Like Greg was saying that he thinks one of the most reprehensible things is that Barry Bonds broke Hank Aaron's record. And I was saying during the break, well, then why is that more or less important than a guy who could have potentially used and it helped him and his team win a World Series. Why is an individual accomplishment more uh, horrific in a lot of people's minds rebonds than a potential World Series championship that Mm -hmm. that affects a lot more people, by the way. But we just have different justifications and different thought processes when we look at each of these people. Whereas if you just look what happened in between the white lines, as you said, the numbers and not the person, or right. what you think about them or what they may have done, this would be pretty solvable.
3: And if we can assume that more than 50% of the players between that time frame, let's just say from the time Canseco came up, let's go a little post Conseco. let's go 1989 to 2004, 99, so that 15 year period, let's just assume that more than 50% of the players were using steroids. We don't know who. But it was a level playing field. It was not an unlevel playing field for people like McGuire and Sosa and Bonds and Clemens because more than half the guys were using performance enhancers. And By the way, before that, amphetamines were a huge part of the game. And people don't talk about how that kept players going after the dog days. In late August, September, yeah. when you've played 130 games and you're taking a greenie every day to keep yourself up. That was a big factor, too.
4: Yeah. Guys who use greenies in the Hall of Fame, guys who use cocaine in the Hall of Fame. But Those were illegal, but we're just going to justify that. Are we going to take out everybody who uh, profited from the game when African-American players weren't allowed to be in there? Racism is more reprehensible Mm -hmm. to me than steroids. But we're not we're not talking about getting those guys out of the Hall of Fame because they were able to benefit from a corrupt and and inequitable system. I mean, it just makes no sense whatsoever, uh, at least to me. Uh, Randy Big Cat from part of my take Mm -hmm. and Barshall fame had a great tweet about all of this this discussion and I would like to present it as my take it or leave it Big Cat tweets this at Barshall Big Cat if we're really breaking it all down steroids like actual steroids should be in the Hall of Fame steroids saved baseball the positive impact that steroids had on the game was incredible elect steroids into the Hall of Fame take it or leave it he's right
3: I'm gonna take that 100% yeah (laughs) Would baseball be what it has become if it weren't for McGuire and Sosa and Bonds and Clemens and some suspected guys that are already in? No, baseball wouldn't be what it is today had we not had steroids and the Paul Bunyan-esque figures that were a product of steroids. There's no doubt that uh, steroids benefited baseball. And that's one of the reasons that at the time, Bud Sealing turned a blind eye to it.
4: Mm-hmm. Because it benefited baseball. Yep.
3: Right. <laughs> All right. A few of your text 65780 and uh, Matthew Rocchio, what do you got?
0: Take it or leave it. This year will be a replay of the 2020 Super Bowl, but this time the
3: 49ers win. I'll take it.
4: I'll take it, too.
3: Just
0: because fun. I
4: want to, <laughs> for,
3: for, out of hope. Yeah,
4: I was. Uh, we're gonna give our picks later, and I was doing a lot of research last night trying to trying to decide which teams I want to pick. And yes, it might be recency bias, but after what I saw with Bills Chiefs, I don't know if I can pick any, any team outside of Kansas <laughs> yeah, City. If you
3: go recency bias, like the last two minutes, it's yeah, hard to bet against them.
4: Unreal. It just seems like they have found it, and if you give them 13 <laughs> seconds, they're gonna figure it out. <laughs> That's
3: exactly right. Take it or leave it, Matthew
0: Kachuk is one of the three stars tonight. I'll take, I'll take it. that.
4: Yeah, sure. he'll be the
3: third star. Blues will win and he'll wind up with a couple of assists and a goal.
4: Yeah, future Blues, Matthew Kachuk. He's
3: going to be fired up Enterprise here in St. Louis. I think the big question now, Michelle, we had it the other day. Is he number 19 with the Blues? Do they give a vote out yeah. or is he number seven? I think that's the only question that really needs to be answered here in the next, what, six, eight months.
4: I would agree, and it's pressing. We need to determine yeah. what number mm-hmm. he's going to be so we can start uh, saving for those sweaters.
3: Yeah, it's going to be a fun sweater to have. Take it or leave it, if you play 10 years in the game, you should get a Hall of Fame vote. I'll take that. Yeah. Play 10 years. That's long enough. By the way, let me go that, back. That
4: would be a lot of people voting.
3: How, how cool would that be for all the people that saved their Keith Kachuk sweaters if he's wearing number seven?
4: Oh, yeah. It would be a throwback, but also current. That would yeah. be sick.
3: Oh, so that's definitely not going to happen is what you're saying. No, it's got to happen. It'd be awesome. No, but then but you know,
0: that, that's, that's revenue, work. baby. Yeah, so the 19 oh, <laughs> yeah, Kachuk That's, Kachuk that's Kachuk. not Definitely. happening. Yeah.
4: But you know what? I'll say this. Even if you had the Keith Kachuk sweater, I think you might be so hyped Matthew Kachuk is coming, you'll you'll, oh, buy, you'll the anyway. yeah, buy the new hey, one anyway. absolutely. You're yeah. going to buy the new one. Hey, maybe
3: masking tape works wonders. <laughs> right. Yep. Thanks, Matt. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Next up, speaking of the Hall of Fame vote, should they get away from the writers and just go to committees? That's next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: time check brought to you by Clarkson jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler Michelle the next time Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens will be able to make the Hall of Fame is in December when the today's game committee meets they meet twice every five years and the last time they met in 2018 is when Harold Baines was elected to the Hall of Fame the last time that group was together the committee consisted of Jerry Reinsdorf Tony La Russa, Roberto Alomar 11, Pat Gillick, Greg Maddox, Joe Morgan, the late Joe Morgan, he died in 2020, John Schurholz, the former general manager and president of the Atlanta Braves, Ozzie Smith and Joe Torrey, executives Al Avila, Paul Beeston, and Andy McPhail, and media historians Steve Hurt, Tim Kirchgen, and Claire Smith. So, so that group will have the opportunity to ponder the legacies of Bonds and Clemens. I don't know well I'll I'll say I don't think that that group will put Bonds and or Clemens into the Hall of Fame but I do believe that that's the direction baseball should go the Hall of Fame should go in selecting Hall of Famers rather than having 400 voters from the BBWAA which by the way is a really important part of baseball Mm -hmm. but clearly you have a lot of people that aren't responsible with their votes and they haven't been able to weed out all of them. They've gotten rid of nearly 200 older voters, but you've got a lot of people that are irresponsible with their votes and it might have reached the point now where it'd be smart for baseball and the Hall of Fame to look at a different way of doing it more like what the NFL has.
4: I I agree with that. I love the idea of having a committee that includes people from all different parts of the game who experienced it and made it their career in different aspects whether it's a writer or a television broadcaster or someone who was a coach or a former player Hall of Famers who are already in there because they're all going to have different perspectives as to what made someone great and why they are deserving or not deserving of being in the Hall of Fame and we talked about this a little bit yesterday but I believe you said that to be in the BBWAA, you have to cover 10 games a year
3: to vote you have to to cover 10 games a year
4: that doesn't seem like a large enough sample size for you to be able to determine whether someone is deserving or not of the hall of fame 10 games a year i would think that you would have to cover an entire season or that you would have to be covering an entire season for x amount of years it sh- it should have stricter um parameters See, for someone to be able to determine whether or not someone is a hall of famer i think
3: uh, and football does a really good job of determining who their voters should be I don't think that you could have a better voter than Bob Costas, who's not a writer, doesn't cover every game of a season, but knows more than all of us. Yes. And so I, I think you can, you need to be more selective. One thing about guys that are covering a team every day and Derek Gould was president of the Baseball Writers Association of America. He pays attention, he knows what's going on and covers the Cardinals every day. However, there are writers that cover a team every day and don't really know what's going on in the rest of baseball, mm-hmm. so their only point of reference is to go to baseball reference and look at the numbers that a guy put up. Derek's a perfect example. If Derek wasn't covering Yadi Molina on a regular basis, if Yadier Molina was playing for the Cubs, he would go to the Cubs writer and talk to him about what Yadier Molina provides on a regular basis because Derek, Rick Hummel, the people here in St. Louis that have votes are very responsible and caring with their votes. But the problem is, is that not everybody is. So I just think it'd be a good idea to condense and have different committees like they do and just use the committee as the be all and end all. Rather than having a vote of 400 people, have a today's game 1988 to present committee. And rather than have it be 12 people, have it be 45, 48 like the football committee, the modern baseball committee, 1970 to 87, a completely separate committee. But again, 44, 48 people that are really good at what they do. A golden days committee, 1950 to 69. That's one where you you could put a Bob Custis on. And I wouldn't limit it only to writers. I think other hall of famers, broadcasters, people involved with the game. And then you've got early baseball prior to 1950. So you've got these four different committees I believe, in my heart of hearts, that that would be a more responsible way to choose these players to be enshrined than to have 400 writers who aren't all even accountable, let alone responsible, making their choices.
4: And the way that the NFL does it is if, like, for instance, when Isaac Bruce is up for the Hall of Fame, someone who covered him, that is a voter, mm-hmm. has to put together a presentation for the rest of the voters to explain why this person is a Hall of Famer. You brought up Derek Gould, who's an excellent example, who is so thorough and, and is very plugged in. Imagine if Derek Gould got in front of his fellow voters and made the case for Yadier Molina. There you go. Explained in detail not only beyond the numbers, why he is special and why he's deserving of the Hall of Fame, I as a voter who didn't see him every day, let's say I'm based in Seattle and I didn't get to have the full Yadier Molina experience, but then Derek Gould who did is telling me why he's deserving. That would certainly have an impact on my vote. And I think a lot of times when you have a huge list of names of guys and you're doing your research, you there's inevitably going to be one player or another that you don't do as thorough of research on Mm -hmm. or you're not calling to talk to people who watched him play or maybe played with him, because some guys, I guess, are no-brainers one way or the other. But I just think it it would benefit baseball to have people who who had very intimate vantage points of these players be able to pitch to their fe- to their fellow yeah, voters. Scott Rowland, Scott right, Rowland right is a great example as to why they are deserving. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm with you. And that only happens yeah. by the way if you whittle down the number of people who have a vote.
3: And I know that a large group of that. 400 voters will be would be upset by what we're talking about right now but i just think that the people that vote for something as prestigious as this they need to be vetted more for example i think if you turn in a blank ballot you're done you should not have if you don't think anybody that's on that list is eligible good enough to have played or good enough to be in the Hall of Fame, then you don't need to vote anymore. We're done. You've got everybody in that you need to have in.
4: And to those people who you said might be strongly against this proposal, Mm -hmm. is it because they think it's a bad idea or because they don't want to lose their power? That's the thing. They (laughs) want to
3: protect their little little base of power. There's no doubt about it.
4: Well, that shouldn't be a good enough reason. No.
3: (laughs) Because you can keep somebody out of the Hall of Fame, that's not a good enough reason to not have a better plan. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. The Blues taking on the flames tonight. We're going to talk to our friend John Kelly, the voice of the Blues on Bally Sports next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues Booth. Brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Great floors for every home. With locations in Crestwood, Manchester, Overland, and St. Peter's. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com.
3: Blues and the Flames tonight. Six o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN. And Curbs and Joey will have the call at seven. You can also see the game at seven o'clock on Bally Sports with John Kelly and Darren Pang. And JK, the voice of the Blues on Bally Sports, joins us now in the Blues booth on 101 ESPN. Mr. Kelly, good morning. How are you doing?
7: I'm doing great. How are you guys today? Everything's
3: good, and obviously the Blues need to get back on the beam. And John, uh, we were just talking about how when the Blues were in the Stanley Cup Finals, Game Three, they come home and lose seven to two. Losses like the one to Calgary the other night are going to happen to every single team, right?
7: Exactly. Uh, You know, big picture, the Blues have been one of the best teams in the NHL in the last month. They're still in a very good playoff position. And they won two or three on the road trip, Randy. <laughs> so, you know, you have to take the big picture perspective. Um, having said that, it was a, it was a really bad loss. Um, you know, the the, the it just, to me watching the game, Randy calling the game, it looked like the Blues had no legs. I mean, they just looked completely flat. They had no answer to uh, the Flames. It was three one after one, as we know. And you know, the Blues are in the game, and then they, you know, they give up four goals in the second period and just had no fight. So. It's one of those games. And also having said that, oh, by the way, Calgary last night won in Columbus Mm 6-0, and they had a club record 62 shots on goal. So it wasn't like the Blues were playing some middle-of-the-road team um, that just happened to be hot. Calgary is a really good team. Um, Don't forget, they were shut down with COVID for a long time. They didn't play any games at all. So they're a very fresh team, and I think they're a good team. And they gave the Blues a pretty good beating the other night. And now the Blues have to respond tonight at home.
4: John, Matthew Kachuk was excellent in that game, five assists. And when we watch him play, there's so many Blues fans out there that feel like it's inevitable that he'll one day end up in St. Louis. But when you see him (laughs) in his game, do you think that he would be a perfect fit for this Blues team?
7: Oh yeah, he would be a perfect fit, just like his brother Brady, just like his father Walt. Right? Yeah. You know, it's it's obviously wishful thinking on on the the Blues fans' part, and you know, hey, it's great, but um, it would it would certainly take a lot to make a trade if Calgary was going to trade him. Um, he is a restricted free agent, I believe, and you know, one or two years away from being a UFA. But I just can't see how Calgary can let this guy go. I mean, he's he's the best player on their team, so. Yeah, he would he would fit really really good into the St. Louis Blues now or anytime um, down the road. So you know, I d- I don't know if that will ever happen, but obviously it'd be wonderful if if. Both Brady and Matthew could could play at some point for the St. Louis Blues.
3: John, you played a little bit, played in high school. You, you've been on the ice a lot. I, I have not. but I always hear from hockey people that the hardest thing to learn, the hardest thing to become consistent at is being a good defenseman. And we saw that the other night, I thought with uh, with Nico Mikola. He, he's going to have his ups and downs kind of like any team is. but what do you think happened to Mikola the other night?
7: You know, Randy, I don't know. I, I watched the game again the other day, and, you know, you certainly can't pin, you know, all the goals on Mikola. I mean, he I know he was minus five and didn't play in the third period, um, and it had a tough night, and that's what Coach Berube said after the game. It was a performance-based decision in the third period. So, you know, I don't know. It wasn't just him, you know, on the first goal. Pareko really screens Bennington a bit. On the third goal, um, Bortuzo loses his footing and slides into the goaltender. You know, it was just one of those things where I think overall the Blues were just really poor defensively. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the back check was awful on the second goal. It's a four-on-three. And Robert Thomas is late getting back as, as the third guy back in the zone. And it's an easy goal for Tanner. So it, it wasn't just one guy, even though his numbers were not good at all. Um, but, you know, maybe he also was a bit hurt. I don't know. Um, you know, he didn't seem to be moving as well on that last goal, the goal by Johnny Goodrow. But he'll bounce back. I think he's been a really good player, and he's been getting better and better. And sometimes, you know, players like teams, you sort of need a slap in the face. And, okay, it's not, it's not easy, and you, you, you have a lot to learn and things like that. So he'll be fine. He's a, he's a really good young player, and he'll bounce back, no question.
4: And and John, with all that being said, obviously not the best performance in front of Jordan Bennington in that game versus Calgary, but there are, I'm sure, moments and goals in that one that he would have liked back. What's your concern level when it comes to Jordan Bennington and his recent performance?
7: Well, I think it's really the last couple of games, Michelle, and before that, he had played pretty well, Um, obviously giving up six goals to Toronto, but a lot of those chances were high danger chances. The winning goal was obviously a bad goal. And then... In the last game, you know, again, the first goal he's screened on, it's probably a shot he, he could have had, you know, maybe off his angle just a little bit. Um, but anytime to me, a goaltender gives up uh, 13 goals in two games, you have to worry about his confidence level. And that's just natural. It's not about Jordan Biddington or any other goaltender. That's just a lot of goals to give up. So, you know, you're going to have your confidence shaken. So whenever he gets back in the net and – I'm not sure when that will be, then that's, to me, what you look for. When he's playing well, he's aggressive, he's, he's outside his goal crease, he's standing up, he's confident, and we'll see if he does that when he gets back in the net. So that would be my biggest concern after giving up 13 goals in two games.
3: J.K., one other thing about tonight's game, and obviously, like you said, Calgary with a dominant performance last night, and they might be the team without legs. But wouldn't it be fun to see these two teams, that team coached by Daryl Sutter playing the heavy game that they play and our team coached by Craig Bruby playing the team that they play? Wouldn't it be fun to see these two in a best of seven?
7: Yeah, you know, the, the team that wins, Randy, might not have any players left. True. it <laughs> would be a battle of attrition. Um, yeah, you know, Calgary to me is a, is an under-the-radar team. And the reason I say that is because they are old school with with the size that they have. I mean, their third defensive pair uh, with Gabranson and Zadorov. Those both of those guys are, you know, six six, two thirty ish, and and that's their third pairing. And you know how Daryl Sutter likes to play. I mean, he's a straight line kind of coach. He wants his players taking the body at, at every turn. So even if you win a playoff series against that team, you are going to be battered and bruised and the other thing with that team is they have a really good goaltender in mm-hmm. jacob markstrom so you know they have the offense their top line is really good they're big and heavy and a good goaltender it, it they have the makings of certainly um pulling off an upset or two whether or not they have the skill to go all the way i don't know uh, but but they're a team that to me is sort of lurking in the weeds right now at the western conference
3: and for people that aren't aware of it with the olympics coming up obviously nhl players not playing in the olympics but our old friend adam cracknell makes team canada
7: I saw that, Randy. That's fantastic. And, you know, he had been playing in China. He's actually been in Beijing playing pro hockey. I read the story yesterday. And Adam Cracknell is one of my favorite guys. Me too. Um, I know you know him, Randy. Really nice guy. Um, a, A guy that, you know, didn't have a ton of skill, but made the most of it and, you know, had a nice career in the National Hockey League. And who knows if he can come back. But, really happy for Adam to get a chance to represent Canada at the Olympics.
3: J.K., always great to hear your voice. We thank you so much for the time. We'll be tuned in tonight for the Blues and the Flames on Bally. All right, Randy. Thank you very much. See you later. That's our friend John Kelly on 101 ESPN. So uh, we've had Greg Amsinger, Duchenne High School in St. Charles. We've had John Kelly, Parkway North. Next up, we go to MICDS, and it's Joe Buck of Fox who will be calling the NFC Championship game. He is next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: I was thinking about this, and I guess this just shows that we're old. But I think I've known Joe Buck for about 35 years, Wow! which is Michelle's 35. So, yeah, I am. So that's, that's a pretty long time. Joe with us now on the Group and Crouppen Celebrity Line. He'll be calling the NFC Championship game on Sunday with the 49ers visiting the Rams. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you guys today? Everything's good. I got to tell this story. When we were at the Chris Pronger number retirement, as you were walking out the door, I said, I think San Francisco has a chance to beat Green Bay. And you said, they're going to beat Green Bay. Why did you have so much confidence in the 49ers?
5: I just think they're tough. I think at this time of year when these teams are as banged up as they've been and all these teams have been dipping and diving through COVID and everything else, I I always defer to the tougher team. And I think that applies this week. I'm not going to say – that San Francisco definitely wins this game, but they're going to give the Rams everything they can handle. And we're back to the same situation we had week 18 when Troy and I were there. And uh, it was basically a 49ers home game. I mean, it was crazy uh, the kind of fan support San Francisco had to the point where by the end of the game, Jimmy Garoppolo is going down, trying to tie it which he did, and he was running the offense normally. And when Stafford and the Rams offense went out there, they had to use silent count. And I'm sure you've read all the stuff about the Rams trying to uh, limit and restrict uh, the sales of tickets to anybody with a Northern California zip code. But that that went out the window. So I I think it's going to be the same kind of a scene, which – is going to be electric uh, because no matter what happens, there's going to be a reaction in the crowd play after play. that's It's going to be fun.
4: Joe, let's look at the AFC Championship matchup. The Bengals did defeat the Chiefs 34-31 in Week 17. But after that shootout that I saw between the Bills and the Chiefs, I'm just not sure that I can pick anyone other than Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City to advance, even though I think Joe Burrow and the Bengals are cool, confident, and collected. But when you look at that matchup, what vulnerabilities do you see in Kansas City that the Bengals can exploit?
5: Well, I mean, they they need to have Tyron Matthew in their lineup. I I think that would help, and, and he's dealing with the concussion protocol and trying to get back, um, the defense has been the, the key for this turnaround, and that's not headlines. Everybody's been talking about it, but what Steve Spagnuolo's done with that defense uh, has made that team Super Bowl worthy again. They weren't at the beginning of the year, and then you know the the impatience of Patrick Mahomes trying to get big chunks instead of taking what the defense was giving him. Now he's doing that. I, yeah, that game was unbelievable on Sunday night. We'll see how we'll see how uh, the needle is for uh, Kansas City with regard to the gas tank after that game. I mean, I think they left everything hanging out there uh, late Sunday night, and now they've got to pick up and take on, as you said, a very confident young Cincinnati team. Kansas City is is the favorite with good reason, but I think Cincinnati will. I think they'll give them a lot to uh, to handle in that game.
3: Hey, Joe, you described what you think you're going to see, and I believe what we will see in SoFi on Sunday. And it kind of, to me, it sounds like it's going to be a a Super Bowl vibe, uh, half and half. And you talked about the reaction, which is awesome for a broadcast and for a viewer. Do you think it'll be like that, the NFC Championship game, maybe half and half in terms of fans? I
5: I really do. I I think it and and just with regard to what everybody was wearing in week 18 you looked out and the predominant color was red and and we were inside that stadium that that's got so much blue and yellow in it but the people in the seats predominantly were wearing red and if it was 50 50 uh I, i think that would be good news for the rams it felt like it was heavier the other way so i it was strange. I mean, to the point where Andrew Whitworth's wife is talking about it, Matt Stafford's wife's talking about it, McVeigh's talking about it publicly. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's a storyline as silly as that sounds. But, you know, for a team that's really gone for broke here uh, in the LA Rams, trying to get ready uh, to, to peak at the right time, making the deal they did for Vaughn Miller Uh, signing Odell Beckham what they gave up to the, the the amount of picks and money that they spent to acquire Jared Goff pay Jared Goff get rid of Jared Goff is staggering and and all of that was built on trying to be ready to go for a Super Bowl this year with Matthew Stafford they're one step away and uh and yet they're going to be dealing with all that stuff at home.
3: And they better win, right? Because they don't have a first or a second or a third round pick. Like you said, they've cranked up the cap. And I know they've been able to to push it forward for years and years. At some point, not having draft picks and cap room catches up with a team.
5: Yeah, well, we saw it here when draft picks were wasted. Um, if you draft decently, you don't have to draft brilliantly but decently that that's like the backfill of your roster and and they it happens at a cheap rate comparatively speaking if you if you don't have picks or if you draft horrendously well then you're you know you're trying to fill in the rest of your roster with free agents and what have you and you just can't you can't manage so they, they don't care about draft picks they're they're very, uh, open about that with what they've given for Jalen Ramsey, uh, and different guys along the way. So, yeah, eventually that bill comes due and eventually, you know, you're looking just to fill spots on your roster with guys you're signing off the street for cheap because you you haven't been able to draft anybody.
3: Hey, Joe, I know this might be unpleasant for a lot of us here in St. Louis, but SoFi Stadium looks pretty cool.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I... You know, I know it's heresy <laughs> to <laughs> say, uh, but damn, it's nice. Uh, and you know, when you consider that whole complex, which is where NFL Network is, you know, we we all made a big deal about it having to be dug out of the ground because of its proximity to LAX. Well, that's kind of cool too because it's not a monstrosity. When you pull up to it, it's got kind of cool architecture. And I don't think people realize that's not a dome. It, it's got a. It's got almost like a tent covering but it's open so it's open around the sides at ground level and then as you go down you know you you get closer and closer to the field but uh it's it's like a tent over the top for lack of uh architectural terminology but uh but it, it you know you feel like you're in an open air stadium it's it's real i mean it's and the, the scoreboard which is like a ring uh is just stunning so it's they did a hell of a job i mean that's what you get for five billion (laughs) dollars
6: exactly
4: (laughs) yeah i was gonna say for that price tag it better be great right (laughs) yeah Uh, well um joe your answer might change to this after this morning's news that uh packers offensive coordinator nathaniel hackett is hired to be the new head coach of the denver broncos but what do you think is more likely to happen that brady returns for another season or that aaron Rodgers stays in green bay
5: well, I mean, I've been public about it. I wish both would would go back right where they left off. Um, it's it's better for my life and for my network. But uh, I, I, I see Brady coming back after getting a little bit of time off and saying that's not how I want to go out. Um, but they're up against the cap, too. And, I, you know, I don't know how, how their long term future looks. But I would say that's more likely, just considering all the bad blood that's happened with Aaron Rodgers. Now, his relationship with his head coach is great, and he loves Matt LaFleur. Uh, and I think it's gotten better with the front office. I, the problem is, I don't think they have enough cap space to have Aaron Rodgers, David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, uh, the two uh, Smiths on defense, and sign Devontae Adams. And if Devontae Adams isn't there, then they don't have much other than, theoretically, Aaron Rodgers. I I think that's the bigger storyline than the stuff with Brian Gutekunst, the GM. I I think he needs Devontae Adams back. And if he doesn't come back, I, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is coming back.
3: Joe, a couple more things. Number one, as we watch on Sunday, as you have prepared for this game, I'm sure that you've come up with an idea of who's going to win and why. What should we look for? If somebody's going to win this game, why are they going to win it?
5: Well, I, I mean, it's boring, but it's going to be the it's going to be the run game, and it's going to be, I think it's just as important for the Rams. Like they they have to have some balance. That's why mcvay has been forcing Cam Akers in because Cam Akers is their most dynamic running back. Even though Sony Michelle carried him through that five game winning streak, uh, Akers can run it. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. But he missed the whole year except for the last week with a torn Achilles. So he's trying to force that back in. He, he fumbled twice in the Tampa Bay game. But they want to run the ball. Sean McVay is a pupil of Kyle Shanahan, and that's all about running the football. So that that's where they want to base the offense, and then everything else works really well off that. Hard to, hard to believe when you got a guy like Cooper Cup leading the world, uh, doing what he's doing on the outside. But he wants to run it, and the same for San Francisco. They. He's going to want to run it forty times, and you know Garoppolo might throw it fifteen times, eighteen times, and you know if Debo Samuel and if they're blocking him up, they've proven him. They've be, they've beaten him six in a row, and they've done it by being more physical. So it's it's going to all be who you know which offensive line and which which ground game gets gets going.
3: And finally, we have about a minute left. I'm going to put you in the coach's office for the St. Louis Blues. Blues <laughs> 40 games left that's what i was thinking <laughs> yeah i mean until proven otherwise
5: uh, i i would ride billy huso and just you know see what happens it, it, nobody cares what anybody's making and i say that as a guy who i firmly believe the blues are not hoisting the stanley cup without jordan bennington i mean i uh, game seven, that, that thing was over in the first period of Bennington's not standing on his head. Uh, so I have a ton of respect, but it's about riding the hot hand. And right now the hot hand is Billy Huso, and that could switch back. And, and Bennington's proven that he can he can get you there, and he's won a Stanley Cup. Uh, you know, Billy Huso hasn't won anything. So, But until it switches back, if it does, I think Billy husso has got to be
3: ridden. Love that you're such a great fan. We'll be watching on Sunday. It's always good to hear your voice. Thanks for the time. All right. Thank you, guys. See you. Yep, Joe Buck with us on 101 ESPN. He has the Niners and the Rams on Sunday on Fox.
4: That was uh, interesting insight from Joe about the 49ers takeover at SoFi and just mm-hmm. how loud it was and how he thought – Uh, the percentage of 49ers fans, how much red he could see. Because we see it on television, but it's always a little different when you're in person. The intensity and the energy that you feel in the stadium is always different in person. So for him to describe it in that way, I understand why so many members of the LA Rams are coming out publicly pleading for people in LA to buy those tickets. And
3: even, I was listening, I think I told you, to the Rams radio broadcast for a little bit that day. It was early on, and Maurice Jones-Drew asked their play-by-play guy, he said, what are, you, what are you seeing out here with the crowd? And he said, well, it's a sea of red mm-hmm. and blue. He said, for every fan wearing blue in the stands, there's a fan wearing red.
4: Well, I was watching the game, and it mm-hmm. looked overwhelmingly red. Um, yeah. But, you know, red obviously pops a lot more sometimes than yellow or blue. So I was wondering if my perception was off. But I think what the Rams did while the intention was correct, you just issued a challenge to these 49er fans who are already so passionate and now they're going to want to come even more than they already did before. So it seems like they might have to deal with this yet again.
3: Hope home field will work in the 49ers' favor. (laughs) I'm rooting for them. That's Michelle, I'm Randy. Coming up, more blues with our blues insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the
1: Carriker and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go.
3: From the Athletic is Jeremy Rutherford and Jr. You join an esteemed cast this morning, Greg Amzinger from Duchenne High School in St. Charles, John Kelly, Parkway North, Joe Buck, MICDS. Later on, we're going to talk to Vianis, Trent Green, and we're going to allow you to represent, this is just uh, Michelle Smallman, Belleville Altoff, uh, St. Mary's, right, for uh, the big boy? CBC. CBC. Oh, okay, for Matt Rocchio. Uh, I'm a Parkway North guy, so we're all representing the high schools this morning here in St. Louis.
8: That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Shout out to Lutheran South, the Lutheran South uh, Lancers. There we go. Let me do that. I played uh, guard end, and tackle on the football team. I guarded the water set at the end of the bench and tackled anybody that came close to the water. So uh, nice, you know, an illustrious career. <laughs> uh, JR's got a piece
3: up at The Athletic this morning. And the headline is what we're hearing about Matthew Kachuk's future in Calgary. Give us an idea of what we're reading here.
8: Yeah, I put together a piece uh, with Hallie Selvin in uh, Calgary. She's my counterpart uh, in Calgary, covers the flames, and uh, just kind of canvas, made some calls uh, around town here in St. Louis. Obviously, everybody knows Matthew and, and some calls around the league and, and, and in Calgary, and put together this piece. And, and basically, you look at what Matthew's doing this year, just a career year. He put up two more goals last night. We saw what he did, five assists the other night against the Blues. He's up to 20 goals, 24 assists, and 38 games, so he's better than a point-per-game player you know, and he's going to be a restricted free agent this summer. And so Calgary will have his rights for another year, but what, what makes it a little complicated is that Johnny Goudreau and these guys are just on fire together. Last nine games, 36 points between those two players. Johnny Goudreau is going to be a UFA, so what happens with him? Can they re-sign him? Does he go back to Calgary? If so, do they have enough money to re-sign Matthew? And if they don't think that they can re-sign Matthew Kachuk, I think this is the summer that they're going to have to trade him. So other than the Blues, there's going to be a lot of teams interested. But I think because of Goudreau's situation, uh, Kachuk gets pushed up to this summer is in terms of when they need to make a decision.
4: And Jr. obviously we know that the Blues would love to bring Matthew Kachuk to the team. But what would that package look like to acquire him?
8: Well, and so it's going to depend, Michelle, on whether they try to go after him You know, this summer when he's restricted, or does Calgary find a way, because they think maybe they can win in the next couple of years and they bring, bring Goudreau back and, and they try to bring Kachuk back, if it's a one-year deal? I know it doesn't make a lot of sense on the surface because you bring him back for one year and then you're allowing him to walk into UFA, but the package to me kind of depends on when could a trade be made, would it be this summer or would it be next year? But this is certainly going to take uh, a lot of uh, assets, you know, whether it be, uh, high end picks or whether it be uh, prospects uh, so on and so forth but you know Calgary looks like you know they're playing pretty well and they think that window is perhaps now for them they got a great goalie uh, they're right there in the in the thick of the standings so i can't see them moving goudreau or kachuk in the uh, in the near future whatsoever so i think it's a situation that if it's next summer the team that's going to have to give up a package for for matthew kachuk it's going to be pretty steep
4: there's an interesting there's a lot of interesting nuggets in your piece but this one stuck out to me we know calgary's on the table we know he might have interest in st louis but what other teams and or cities would he potentially consider
8: yeah and so you know that's all uh, speculation but again you make those phone calls and you find out you know, I think the biggest thing is that Matthew Kachuk would love to play in St. Louis. I think he's mentioned that to people, you know, around him for a number of years. You know, maybe part of it is just a fantasy. His dad played here. He grew up here. He lived at the rink. You know, he and Brady would like to play together uh, at one point together. Uh, but, you know, he'd like to play here. But, you know, if it if it doesn't work, if it can't work, if the Blues can't afford it, you know, there are some other places I think he'd like to play, Vegas being one of them, but they're so up against the cap, especially, you know, with the move they they made with Eichel coming in. And then you look at some other teams, Dallas, Nashville, the New York Rangers, those are some of the teams that I've heard. JR, NHL teams
3: are very reluctant to sign restricted free agents to offer sheets, although that did happen when Montreal signed Sebastian Ajo to one, and then Carolina came back last uh, year and actually got Koka Niemi from the the Canadians uh, on an offer sheet. Do you think the Blues would be inclined to go that direction, to to sign Matthew Kachuk to an offer sheet that included a poison pill?
8: I, I don't think so for this reason. I don't have the chart in front of me that says what the compensation is if Matthew Kachuk signs and Calgary elects not to match, but it's got to be for his price tag, which would be you know $9, $10 million. Uh, I think uh, I think that that's probably four first round. Draft I think that's picks. right, yeah. And 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 so you'd be uh, a year away from unrestricted free agency. So you know, if you're the Blues, while you'd want Matthew Kachuk sooner than later, you could wait one more year, get him in UFA, and not have to give up those uh, four first round picks.
3: And we know that everybody that's listening now is, or everybody that's going to be at the game tonight is going to be uh, is listening now. Give the guy a standing ovation. Give number 19 for Calgary a standing ovation
8: tonight. Yeah. You think that would help? (laughs) can't hurt, right? (laughs)
3: Yeah. Hey, let's talk about this team. I think it's good that the Blues are playing Calgary again. And granted, they had another great game last night, so they might be a little bit worn down. But... I would rather the Blues play this heavy team again. And Craig Bruby was on with the Fastlane guys the other day and said, hey, this is going to be a different game. We're going to be ready this time. He said, I told the players before Monday this was going to be a man's game. Tonight will be a man's game.
8: Uh, Aren't the schedule makers something? I I know this is like uh, unintended, but it's just amazing uh, when you have a situation like this. So the Blues are playing back-to-back three and four when they were in Calgary the other night, and the legs were gone. They were tired. And that's not to make excuses. They didn't play well. They didn't live up to what uh, Craig Bruby told them ahead of time, that it would be a, a man's game. But, yeah, you get a couple days off. Uh, they took Tuesday off. They were out on the ice yesterday, guys, uh, had a really good practice. And, and now they see Calgary again. And, and now it's the Flames coming off back-to-back. Back. And they're feeling really good about themselves, uh, if, in case people didn't see it. 6 nothing last night over Columbus, 62 shots on goal. I think that was the first time 60-plus in a long time, maybe as long as uh, 30 years for a team. Um, so, yeah, they're feeling good, but probably a little bit uh, fatigued. And I do think that what happened the other night is certainly going to perk up the Blues.
4: Uh, Jr., do you expect Huso to be in between the pipes? And if you were Craig Berube, how much would you roll with Huso over Bennington?
8: Yeah, I thought it was great. Gosh, does Joe Buck not have enough to do with his uh, regular <laughs> job? And he's all over the goalie situation. Right? Yes, <laughs> so, love uh, it. Uh, you no, know, I think it's got to be Huso. They're going to have an optional skate this morning, so he might not be able to uh, determine uh, the goaltender we'll see. Um, and Craig Burby, lately he hasn't been uh, announcing the goaltender at the morning practice, you know, wait till game time, he says. So we'll see. But, you know, I can't believe that it wouldn't be Billy Huso. Uh, Jordan Bennington struggling, you know, was it all his uh, fault the other night? No, it certainly wasn't. Uh, but I think that with two games left before you take this long break, uh, talking about tonight and then Saturday against Winnipeg, you got to roll with uh, Huso and then just see uh, what you can do with Jordan Bennington, whether it's on the ice, off the ice, Uh, during this break to to get him right, because the Blues, like Joe said, are definitely, definitely going to need Jordan Bennington. As much as you want Huso to be successful and keep running with this, You know, I just don't know that uh, you can win this thing without Jordan Bennington.
3: Jeremy Rutherford, another great piece. Always great work at The Athletic, and you need to subscribe to check out what we're hearing about Matthew Kachuk's future in Calgary. JR, great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll talk to you soon.
8: Go Lutheran South Lancers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you bet. See you later. That is Jeremy Rutherford on 101 ESPN. All right, this was a busy hour. Yes, it was. Because we did have Joe. Joe's got his conference call with the Rams now at 9 o'clock. So we had to have him at 830 and then JR at 845. And that's why we're going to have a late edition of The Fight coming your way next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: It is Kara Smallman here on 101 ESPN. What a show we've had today. We talked to Greg Amsinger of MLB Network. We talked to John Kelly. We talked to Joe Buck. We talked to Jeremy Rutherford. We're going to talk to Trent Green next segment. A lot of great St. Louis broadcasters on the show today, which means we have a late edition of the fight at 9 o'clock. So let's welcome in Randy's challenger. Paul is with us. Good morning, Paul, and thank you for jumping on late today for the fight.
3: Uh, no problem Michelle how are you this morning?
4: I'm doing good. Are you ready to take on Randy?
2: Yes I am and I just wanted to let you know that I am a Freeburg Midget so technically we have like all St. Louis natives today.
4: Yes we do and shout out to the ill side Paul. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Okay here we go. Question number one. Which former Blue was the first NHL player to record 10 straight 50 assist seasons? Is it Adam Oates, Wayne Gretzky, or Bernie Federko?
2: Bernie Federko.
0: All right. Who scored the final blues goal in the St. Louis Arena history in a 2-1 loss to the Dallas Stars on April 24, 1994? Was it Phil Housley, Murray Barron, or Craig Janney? Uh, Greg Janney, I believe.
4: Question number three for you, Paul. Who was the first player to win back-to-back Cy Young awards? Is it Denny McLean, Sandy Koufax, or Jim Palmer?
2: Sandy Koufax.
0: And last night, Yuri Collins became St. Louis' all time career assist leader in just 69 games. Who did he pass with his 437th assist?
4: Irwin Claggett,
0: Jim Roeder, or Josh Fisher?
2: I'll go with Josh Fisher.
4: Okay. Checking our score. Strong fight from Paul. Uh oh. Where's Randy? Oh, there he is. He was not in our. Eyesight here, <laughs> Paul. Confidence check. How are you feeling?
2: Uh, pretty good, but it's still hard on hard to take on Mega Mind.
4: That's true. Mega Mind is megamind for a reason. But you did well, Randy. Please say good morning to Paul, who is also a St. Louis native. He's from Freeburg.
3: Paul, welcome to uh, the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. How are you doing this morning? good how are you randy i'm doing well appreciate you joining us for the fight
4: and that's fair for me to say st louis native i just lump oh, in the ill side if, you, if you're from Metro freeburg East.
3: and you go to la and somebody says where are you from you say st louis correct if but you're from belleville same thing right
4: you know what's amazing though i will talk to people who grew up in the county they're mm-hmm. not even necessarily in the city and they'll ask me the word you go to high school game and i'll say oh, i'm from the ill side. we don't play that game over there no one no. really cares and they go oh, okay well, you're not really from St. Louis. You're from Illinois. I'm like, really? Because I can see the Arch from my family's backyard. Like, I'm closer to downtown St. Louis than you are. So, okay. (laughs) Anyway, now that I've gotten that off my chest, Randy, are you ready? I'm ready. Question number one. Which former Blue was the first NHL player to record 10 straight 50 assist seasons?
3: 10 straight 50 assist seasons. Which former Blue... I think that may have been Bernie Federico.
0: All right, number two. Who scored the final Blues goal in St. Louis Arena history in a 2 1 loss to the Dallas Stars on April 24th, 1994? Final Blues goal. Okay. The,
3: unfortunately, the final goal, I believe, was scored by former Blue Paul Cavallini of the Stars. The final goal in that series for the Blues. Uh, This was 94, 94, right? 94. Yeah, playoff series against the Stars. Against the Stars. Lost 4-2 the series. Yeah. Well, the the default would be Hully, and I have to believe Hully's going to be one of the three. So... I will try to think because um, he had Shanny on that team, too. You know what? I'll go with Shanny.
4: Who was the first player to win back-to-back Cy Young Awards?
3: Back-to-back Cy Young Awards. We had the answer Sandy Koufax yesterday as the youngest Hall of Famer. Cy Young started in the mid-50s. You had, and it wasn't always... National League and American League, you had like Major League. I might be inclined to go with Sandy Koufax.
0: All right, and number four last night, Yuri Collins became St. Louis's all-time career assist leader mm-hmm. in just 69 games. Who did he pass with his 437th assist? I
3: I know because it was on the scoreboard, but I done something. I'll do the lifeline because I know. Uh, so, we need to tell Erwin Claggett? No. Jim Roder? No. Josh Fisher. Josh Fisher. There you go.
4: Paul, Randy, we have a tie.
3: Oh, hey, how about that?
4: Gentlemen, you each got three correct. Strong mm. fight from both of you. You both got tripped up on number two, by the way. You both got number two incorrect. Anyway, we're heading to the tiebreaker round. Here is how this is going to work. I'm going to read the question. As I'm reading, Randy's going to write down his answer on a sheet of paper. Post it today. Paul, you're going to get first crack at this. We'll give you about 10 seconds to give us your answer. Randy will then share with us what he's written down on said Post-It. First, to get it correct, our closest to the pin wins. Paul, are you ready? Yes, I am. Randy, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, guys. Here's your tiebreaker question. How many dimples are there on a golf ball? How many dimples are there on a golf ball? A fun, general, random trivia question.
0: Closest to the pin.
4: <laughs> closest to the pin. All right, Randy, show me what you got. Okay. Hold on, hold that up one more time. Oh, sure. Okay. Randy has shared his answer with us, Paul, whenever you're ready.
3: Uh, it, golf ball is like so
2: small, but there's so many spots that I'm just going to take a shot in the dark and say like 75.
4: 75 from Paul. Randy, your answer is
3: I said 366, Michelle.
4: 366 an epic fight on a Thursday that is technically technically Randy's Friday since he's going to be out mm-hmm. tomorrow. So does Randy end his week on a victory, or does Paul send him into a long weekend with an L?
1: The winner and still champion of the fight,
7: Randy Carriker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions, providing St. Louis with top-quality eye care and eyewear since 1997.
4: Just win, baby. I'm sorry, Paul, Randy, closest to the pin on the tiebreaker, which means he brings home the victory. But great fight out of you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing.
2: Well, actually, Michelle, I'd hate to say this, but the tiebreaker question being a golf question, I, I don't play golf. I'm not very good at like
3: swinging a club <laughs> and everything, and I thought, Randy, you would get that right. Yes, that's I, true. That's true. I, I should know better. I'm go- After this answer, I'm going to know exactly how many
4: That's true. Are, You'll never won't. forget either, Randy. No, I won't. won't. Thanks, Paul. Have a great weekend.
3: Okay, you too. Appreciate
4: it. Win, 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 win. Okay. Here we go. Yeah, you, you have a long weekend. You might want to get those in now while you can. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Because I'll probably lose tomorrow. Or maybe we'll make Dan do the fight because he'll win. Dan always That's wins That's a
3: good idea. Yeah. I'm
4: winning. This one. I'm winning. That is so yacht rocky. That one. <laughs> Shout out Freddie Mercury. Okay, Bernie Federico is the former Blue that was the first NHL player to record 10 straight 50 assist seasons. Phil Housley scored the final Blues goal in St. Louis Arena ah, history in and, and a 2-1 loss to the Dallas Stars. On Who were the
3: uh, options there?
4: It was Phil Housley, Murray Barron, or Craig Janney. Ah, I wasn't
3: going to give you an easy one. Ah.
4: <laughs> and that was on April 24th. Murray <laughs> Sandy Koufax was the first player to win back-to-back Cy Young Awards. And Yuri Collin passed Josh Fish, Fisher last night with his 437th assist to become St. Louis's all-time career assist leader. He did it in just 69 games. Now, our tiebreaker question. How many dimples are there on a golf ball? Paul guessed 75. Randy guessed 366. The correct answer, you were close, 336.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. There you so go. I'll never Apparently
0: it's 336 on an American golf ball. The British use a 330 dimple golf ball. Oh, I'm not oh. sure why.
3: Thank goodness the British don't use an 80-dimple golf yeah. ball.
4: <laughs> Leave it to the British you have to change yeah. things up.
3: No doubt about it. All right. So thank you very much for joining us on 101 ESPN. It's coming up on 9-11. Last week. One of our guys, Trent Green, pride of Viani, had the call for the Cincinnati Bengals and the Tennessee Titans. Of course, he lives in Kansas City, so he knows the Chiefs very well. And Trent's going to help us preview the AFC Championship game. Coming up next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker with you on 101 ESPN and uh, one of the extremely accomplished members of a very accomplished greatest show on turf team is Trent Green who does analysis for CBS did the Bengals game at Tennessee last week. obviously does Westwood One radio as well. you hear Trent's voice a lot here on 101 ESPN and he's with us now with Michelle Smallman and Randy Carricker. Good morning Trent, how you doing?
9: Randy, Michelle, doing well. It, uh, you know, this is an exciting time of year. I don't, I don't know if the games this weekend will be able to live up
3: to uh, the standard that was set last weekend in all four of those games. What a lot of fun that was. It, it's hard to imagine that you could have four that would go down to the wire. And the game that you were doing, of all the games, that's the one that shocked me the most. And I, I'm not surprised that Joe Burrow won. But with the bye and with Tennessee being at home and getting Derrick Henry back, if you had told me that – Cincinnati was w- going to win that game. If I were ranked my confidence points of those four, I would have put Cincinnati <laughs> at the bottom.
9: You know, I, I agree. It was uh, it was pretty electric in there when uh, when Derrick Henry uh, came out during the introductions. You know, and that, that the the entire stadium, if not the entire city, just went uh, just went nuts. Uh, the thing about Cincinnati, though, is they've got this. Uh, They've got this youthful confidence about them, right? They, they, you know, Burrow. Yeah, he's 25 years old, but it's only his second year in the league. Jamar Chase is just a rookie, you know. Higgins, Mixon, all these guys—they're not very old, and so—and uh, they haven't won much. And so now, they all of a sudden, they're winning. They're playing with a lot of confidence. They've kind of got that nobody expects us to be here anyway, so why not just go out and have fun and play loose and? Uh, You know, to sit there and say that Joe Burrow was going to get sacked nine times and they were still going to win the game, uh, no no way. But uh, they found a way to get it done.
4: I want to stay there for a second Trent because you're right Joe Burrow just has that it factor we know he's not afraid of a big moment we saw it in college but as you mentioned he takes nine sacks I read that his headset went out during the game and he's calling his own plays against this tough Tennessee Titans team in the playoffs it's just like nothing phases him he has a level of composure and confidence that we normally don't expect from guys his age are you surprised to see that in Joe Burrow at this stage of his NFL career
9: you know, I'm, I'm surprised to see it at this stage of his career, but I'm not surprised when you sit there and you sit down and you have a conversation with him and, you know, what he went through at Ohio State, then what he went through at LSU, and then, you know, kind of the, some of the, the hurdles that he's gone through to get to that point. He's just got this, uh, as you said, Michelle, the, the it factor, right? And it's uh, I've talked to a number of the, the Bengals linemen. I've talked to their coaches they said it's just when he walks in the huddle if he walks into a meeting room if he walks into a locker room the way he carries himself it's not a cockiness it's it's just guys believe you know and and, and when you have that that quote unquote you know it factor it really does it can, it can carry a long way and and you know guys on both sides of the ball i remember we had a conversation earlier in the season uh, with the nickelback mike hilton who was you know had been with the steelers the first part of his career, and he signed as a free agent, you know, with the Bengals, which is a big rival, division rival. And, and I said, Mike, what you know, other, other than the money part of it, because free agency, obviously, the, the nice contracts help you move on. But other than the money part of it, what was it about the Bengals because they've been down for so long? He said, there's two things. He said, I knew it was a young team and they were, they were growing and, you know, they're kind of a team on the rise. So I wanted to be a part of something that was on the rise. He goes, the other one? That quarterback, he goes, I don't know what it is. And, he, and Mike, had, Mike had never played with him. He was on the Steelers, and he was like, whatever that is about Joe Burrow, I want to be a part of that. And it was, uh, you know, you hear that quite a bit from the guys in the locker room and the coaches and personnel guys.
4: And, and Trent, he's so tough, too. I mean, nine sacks versus the Titans. I'm watching this game. I'm concerned about his well-being, but it doesn't seem to face him at all. But do you think that offensive line play could be the Bengals' undoing in the AFC Championship game versus the Chiefs?
9: You know, it, it definitely could be. Uh, you know, that's that's been a problem all year. Burrow took uh, as many sacks, if not the most sacks, uh, of any quarterback. Uh, and then he's coming off of an ACL-MCL, which – I'm all too familiar with. So I know that's not an easy, easy injury to recover from. And then to do it in the amount of time he did it, you know, he was back on the field within eight months uh, and, and really hasn't skipped a beat. Uh, he does. He still does some prehab stuff before practice and he does some rehab stuff after practice. Uh, there's a, there's a whole set of routines that he has to maintain just to try and keep the strength. But as the season's gone on, you can see the mobility and the trust that he has in it. Uh, the mental part of having guys fall around his legs, there may have been some of that early in the season. There's definitely not any of that now. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's just amazing what he's been able to come through mentally and physically having suffered the knee injury that he did. Uh, but to your point, Michelle, that offensive line is going to have to do a lot better. Uh, I think they're going to have to get that run game going with Joe Mixon because that's one of the areas that the Chiefs are susceptible with their defense uh, Is is, you know, teams that can run the football against them. Uh, if, if they can get Joe Mixon going, that's going to that's going to alleviate some of the pressure that that, uh, that Burrow
3: has to handle. And it does seem Trent, and we're going to get to the Chiefs here in a moment, but it seems like Jamar Chase is unstoppable.
9: You know, if you go back and watch the uh, watch the Week 17 game against the Chiefs, and he had a he had a phenomenal. I want to say he had three touchdowns in that game, but you know, maybe 160, 170, 180, whatever it was. But he caught a he caught a curl route in between four defenders at about 12 yards deep and turned it into a 60 some yard touchdown. It was, it was, you know, you understand, you know, early in the year, you know, everything was bombs, right? It was all over the top, over the top, over the top. He caught, he caught the league by storm the first six weeks of the season. And then all of a sudden, you know, teams started saying, okay, we're not going to give up the big play. We're going to make, we're going to make Jamar catch everything in front of us. And uh, very similar to what teams do with Tyreek Hill. But they keep everything in front. Well, then now it's kind of, okay, we've gotten T. Higgins involved. we got gotten Mixon involved. we got gotten Uzama involved. Uh, Boyd is still a major factor, uh, especially on third down. Now, all of a sudden, those big plays are starting to come back in. And, you know, go to that, uh, as I said, go to that Chiefs game in week 17 and See the, see the type of performance he put up there the the Chiefs are going to have to have a much different game plan than what they had that week.
3: Trent Green with us on 101 ESPN the pride of Viani. and Trent I, I don't know I, I want to get your perspective on this from a quarterback standpoint when I watched the Chiefs the other night against Buffalo and Buffalo didn't squib kick I said I think Mahomes might get them into field goal range with three timeouts with only 13 seconds left were you thinking the same thing? Well, I so I was.
9: I know there's there's different different ways of thinking. I'm not a big fan of the squib kick just because of the shape of the football. We've seen so many crazy things happen. So, and I'm not a fan of kicking it into the end zone. What I what I was a fan of, and what I was hoping, uh, you know, if if you're a Buffalo and you're thinking of game management, which is being a quarterback, I'm always thinking of game management. Mm-hmm. So it's like. Uh, kick it off as high as you can, but I would tell the kicker, kick it to the 10-yard line because then you give him some leeway. Really, you want him to kick it to the 5-yard line, but tell him to kick it to the 10 so if he messes up and kicks it to the 5, it's not going into the end zone. So uh, Mm -hmm. tell him to kick it to the 10, force them to catch the football. Then by the time they get tackled, whatever, four, five, six seconds are coming off. So then you're you're taking away the possibility for what, what we saw transpire. Uh, with a with a squib kick, I've seen too many times where, you know, one of the guys in the front line gets hit or that, that, you know, takes a crazy hop and the guy catches it at the 30 and returns it to the 45 or, you know, even if it hits and kicks out of bounds, then all of a sudden you got the ball at the 40-yard line and no time's runoff. So uh, I'm a big fan of kicking it short making him field it so that the clock starts running. Uh, and then and then you got to trust your guys to go down there and cover. So, um, you know, it nothing has nothing shocks me anymore with patrick mahomes you know it uh ever since he came into the league uh he didn't play much his rookie year only had one start with alex smith there but then that second year he won league mvp you know took him to the afc championship game and and brady you know took an overtime for brady to beat him that year and then you know and then he's you know four straight four straight afc championship games couple straight super i mean it's So, no, 13 seconds and a couple timeouts, and knowing that he's got Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, no, I I was not shocked that, uh, that he got him in that position.
4: Trent, that was an all-time game. We have so many great young quarterbacks in the NFL right now. We're seeing this changing of the guard. Ben Roethlisberger officially announces his retirement today. Tom Brady, we know that the end is near. We don't know how much longer we have with Aaron Rodgers, but you see that shootout with Allen and Mahomes. Joe Burrows in the AFC Championship game when Lamar and Kyler are healthy. They're electric. Uh, Justin Herbert is a stud. How special and electric is this group that we have now? It feels like they're going to be battling it out for that top spot for the next 10, maybe 15 Fifteen years,
9: Michelle. I love it. I did. I wish I was young enough to be playing with these guys <laughs> because uh, I tell you what—the way the league has changed—it's a much more, um, and it was a much more pass-friendly league when I was in the league. I mean, if, if you think about the evolution of it, seventies and eighties, and then it, you know, nineties and two thousand I mean, it's—it just continues to be, and and the way the rules are set up as far as you know, wide receivers and defensive backs, contact to the quarterback, the protection of the quarterbacks in the pocket. You know, uh, it's a very quarterback-friendly league right now, and and I'd love watching these young guys play. And, and, And I've tried telling people, you know, as great of a game and as special of a game as that Mahomes and Allen matchup was last weekend, there's the potential for there to be the same exact thing this weekend, you know, with Burrow and Cincinnati, because last time Cincinnati played, you know, played the Chiefs, Burrow had over 400 yards and four touchdowns. And, you know, Mahomes was uh, Mahomes was under 300 yards and two touchdowns in that game. But the way he dominated the first half prior to Cincinnati coming back in the second half. But, you know, think about the shootouts that Mahomes has had with uh, Justin Herbert in the division. Um, you know, they've already got that foundation set. And then, uh, you know, as you said, with with Allen, with, with Lamar Jackson, the battles that Mahomes has had with him. I mean, it's just some of the young talent that's out there uh, it, it really is special to watch and, and a, it remains to be seen what's going to happen with guys like Kyler Murray how he develops um, to a Tongavaloa you know he's he's won some games but how's he going to evolve Jalen hurts how he's going to evolve? I mean there's just a uh, it, it, it is as you said there's a lot of great young quarterbacks I think there's gonna be some some special rivalries moving forward I love the moment after the Bills Chiefs game where Patrick Mahomes was celebrating, and he took the time to go and find Josh Allen and uh, and give him a big hug and just, you know, man, I mean, that was a battle. It went, and that's when that game ended, that's the guy you felt the worst for was Josh Allen because of what he had been able to do. And, and the touchdown he threw with 13 seconds left, that drive, the, the fourth down conversions, the extension of the plays with his legs, all those things, it uh, – It was a special game to watch, and and hopefully for a lot of years to come. You're right, Michelle, with all these quarterback
3: matchups, it's going to be fun. Trent Green, one more thing. January 30th, the 22-year anniversary of Super Bowl 34. That's the day that you got your Super Bowl ring, but you were hurt. You were on the sidelines. As you look back now with with the distance that we have, you did get a ring out of it. It's got to be, I I would think, bittersweet because that could have been you as you look back, what do you think of what happened to you and how everything unfolded there?
9: You know, it's uh, I, I still cherish that ring. I, I still, Randy. You know, you were around it. It was, um, you know, that was a that was a special group of guys, special team. Uh, I felt I had a part in it uh, because of what we did in the off season, what we we're able to build through. You know, mini camps and training camp and the preseason, just kind of get the momentum and the confidence and all that going. Um, you know, Marks and I coming in together, uh, you know, implementing the offense uh, that we had had in Washington with North Turner and, and kind of evolving it even further. You know, give credit to Mike for that, that vision that he had uh, in terms of going to more four wide receiver, more spread type stuff. Um you know, I do. I, I, I value it. I've I've got close relationships. I stay in contact with a lot of the a lot of the guys on the team still. I still I talk to Coach Vermeil. Gosh, I probably talk to him at least every couple of weeks, uh, if not more, um, just to talk about football. We like talking about broadcasting. We talk about the Rams, the Chiefs, his Eagles. You know, it's uh, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot of fun maintaining those relationships, and I hey, I sure hope he gets voted in, and I sure hope that uh, that Tory Holt gets voted in. How special that would be if uh, if the Rams find a way to, to beat San Francisco this weekend, and then the Super Bowls in L. A. You've got the Rams, you've got uh, you know if story's going in, if Coach if Coach ultimately gets in, I mean it would be uh, it would make it a really special uh, special weekend.
3: Trent Green, it's always great to hear your voice. Thanks for taking the time with us today and previewing the the AFC championship game. By the way, I, I meant what I said. You're so accomplished. I, I love what you do in broadcasting. I thought the first time I ever met you that you'd wind up being a great broadcaster, and you are. So congratulations on that, and hopefully we can do this again in the future.
9: Hey, I appreciate it. And with all that praise, Randy, you're going to get me back on the show whenever you want. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Thanks, Trent. <laughs> great, great
3: talking to you guys. Have a, Have a good week. Yeah, and we'll see you in Canton again. Definitely. Take care. That is Trent Green on 101 ESPN.
4: I hope that we see him in Canton again. I hope that Tory and Coach both get in.
3: Yeah, and just as you mentioned, what was the word that you used for him when you saw him? He's a very elegant person. He really is. Yeah, he's first class. And for Kurt to bring him up in his Hall of Fame speech and— for him to show up at Isaac's Hall of Fame induction says everything you need to know. And like he, he said, that group is still exceptionally tight. Even though he got hurt during the preseason, everybody knows, like he said, I I felt like I had something to do with it. He was the start of the change of the culture of that franchise under Dick Vermeil.
4: So everything he said about Joe Burrow could also apply to what Trent Green did here.
3: I was thinking—and I— I'll tell you what we'll do when we come back. We've got your killing Me Smalls. But in What's On Tap, I've got a question for you that's going to be very difficult to answer.
4: Oh, okay. So at 945. Yes. Okay. But
3: your killing Me Smalls is next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. <laughs> what's
6: totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're
1: killing me, Smalls with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN.
3: Just got a text from my friend, the former St. Louis University uh, SID, Doug McElhaga, who is a native of Buffalo and Mm -hmm. a huge Bills fan. And we have not not discussed this, and I haven't seen this discussed, but it does make sense. He he types, in retrospect, the Bills should have employed the Belichick plan and just grabbed and hold everybody for two straight plays (laughs) and take two holding calls. That runs at least 10 seconds off the clock. That's exactly right five yards first downs who cares that would have been the play plays
4: here we are on Thursday and it's like that every day goes by I feel worse and worse for Bill's fans I do too because the the drama and the excitement of the game has worn off and I just can't imagine being a Bills fan. Once stick that, with you. Once that settles in, once the numbness goes away a little bit and you're forced to really think about it, that is a brutal loss. So hugs mm. to all of our Bills fans. No
3: doubt about it. All right, it's time for... You're
4: killing me, Small. A lot of speculation about Aaron Rodgers and his future Randy, and so a lot of people want to call Brett Favre who obviously played for the Packers and left Green Bay and had a relationship with Aaron Rodgers and he was on WNSP in Mobile, Alabama earlier this week on Tuesday, actually, and he was talking about the starter backup dynamic he had with Aaron Rodgers and unprompted he brought up what he thinks Aaron Rodgers future will be,
2: you know, I'm sure the next question would be where the Packers go from here. That's a good question. But I think we may have seen the last of Aaron in Green Bay. I don't know that for certain. It's just a gut. Um, you know, he may try his hand somewhere else
7: now. Yep.
4: Just a gut feeling, he says, but that's where he's going. Unprompted brought that up.
3: I would think that he probably has a pretty good idea. He still talks to Aaron Rodgers, and I'm sure they both talk about that organization and moving on from that organization and seeing what the grass is like on the other side.
4: I would imagine if Aaron Rodgers was interested in moving on that talking to Brett Favre might be something on the agenda about somebody who did leave Green Bay. I would imagine he might seek a little bit of counsel in old number four.
3: I I would think Favre and Brady both are probably commiserating at the moment with Aaron
4: Rodgers. Yeah, you think that that might be the case, but...
6: You're killing me, Smalls.
4: This was before we got the news that the Denver Denver Broncos are hiring Green Bay Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett to be their head coach. That news breaking this morning. He was there for three years, obviously worked very intimately with Aaron Rodgers. And so I wonder if the next domino to fall there is number 12 himself heading to Denver.
3: That would make sense if you are Aaron Rodgers and you saw Tom Brady go and get the sort of power that he had in Tampa has in Tampa. You go and see what Peyton Manning was able to do with the power that he got in Denver when he was allowed to run practices. And not that Tony Dungy didn't allow him to run practices, and and Chuck Pagano too, but just the level of power that those two quarterbacks have had. And I'm sure that Aaron Rodgers has a lot of juice within the Packers organization, but you can go someplace and kind of be in charge. Mm -hmm. I would think that that would be a huge thing for Aaron Rodgers. You look at Manning getting Wes Welker and bringing in his tight end from the Colts. And they allowed him to actually scout college receivers and listen to Peyton Manning and allowed him to pick out who he was going to be throwing to. Same thing with Brady going out and getting Gronk. And they, they say, is Antonio Brown cool? You, you cool with that? And he, he says, yes. Uh, getting a guy like Gio Bernard, that, that's a guy that Brady recommended. I would think that that would be a really attractive possibility for a guy like Aaron Rodgers. And if he's got a coach that's going to run his system and he's able to go in there and John Elway, who's still he, he's on the business side now, but he's one of the guys that attracts a quarterback. And Elway says to George Payton, their general manager, hey, just do what we did with Peyton Manning and just allow... A lot of leeway for Aaron Rodgers. That's the best way to get him. I would think that that would be the play.
4: And it'll be weird to see Aaron Rodgers if he does, in fact, lean, leave Green Bay in another uniform. But Denver feels like a place that would fit his persona. You know, I mean, he, mm-hmm. grew, he grew his hair out for his Halloween costume, but kept it. I could see him being in, in the mountains, you know, a little chossy I could see Aaron Rodgers blending in very well in Denver.
3: I definitely could. But I wonder if he could win a Super Bowl there. They've got some talent. They've got a couple of running backs. They've got a couple of good receivers. Got a really good defense. They need to hire a good defensive coordinator there. But I wonder if he could be the guy that takes them over the top.
4: He makes any team he goes to a contender. And I would imagine if he goes there, that's not the last move they make. If you're getting Aaron Rodgers, you're pushing all the chips. You're going for it. Yes.
3: But does that make you good enough to beat Kansas City is the question.
4: I don't know. Pretty good. Yeah. You're killing me, small. Or Buffalo. I mean, right. <laughs> there's gonna. Or, I take your pick. With a lot of these AFC teams, it's gonna be very a very difficult path it is. for them to get to the Super Bowl. Well, Randy, uh, in other quarterback news today. Ben Roethlisberger obviously a lot of speculation around his future but he made it official today in a video posted to his Twitter account he announced this is the end of the road he says the journey has been exhilarating fueled by a spirit of competition yet the time has come to clean out my locker hang up my cleats and continue to be all I can be to my wife and children I retire from football a truly grateful man
3: And the timing was maybe even a little bit too late. But the timing is right for him to get out. That'll save the Steelers a lot of cap room, although he took a reduced salary in 2021. I'm interested to see what they do. And there's a really interesting story out this morning. Mike Singletary claims that the 49ers had a deal in place in 2009 to trade for Ben Roethlisberger. Mm. And he... Rejected it. He said, I've been telling them I wanted a team of character. I felt I had to be true to that. But if I could do it again, I'd do it differently. This is right on the heels of Roethlisberger being associated with the sexual assault in Georgia. And Singletary says they had a deal in place. And remember, they had uh, Alex Smith at the time. I don't know who was going to be involved, but apparently there was a deal in place to send Ben Roethlisberger to... San Francisco, and Mike Singletary said no.
4: Does it say what was returning to Pittsburgh?
3: No, it doesn't. Dan Pompey wrote the article, so we we don't get to find out who was involved.
4: I would love to know what they were offering in return for him.
3: Yeah, Alex Smith, who had been the top pick in the draft four years earlier, had to be a part of it, but it would be interesting to know who else Pittsburgh would have wanted.
6: You're killing me, Smalls.
4: We just talked about the AFC Championship game with Trent Green. Jamar Chase, Randy, you brought up how incredibly talented he is. There's a lot of media that's being done in advance of this game. And Jamar Chase was speaking to the media and was asked if there's a motivator that continues to push him. And he gives what he calls one of his best stories ever about someone doubting him.
6: Yeah, I don't know if I have a
7: story either going back that far. Um, This has been always... I can tell you, honestly, one of, one of my best stories ever. Les Miles told me I couldn't play receiver uh, when I was coming out of high school. Um, so, you know, that was something I had on my shoulders growing up. Les Miles told me uh, he thought I could play cornerback. Um, I wasn't really in full position at receiver yet. So, you know, I just kept working in my craft uh, offseason, waking up early in the mornings to work out. Um, I just kept focused.
4: Les Miles telling Jamar Chase, don't think you're a receiver. You're not going to be good enough to play receiver.
7: Wanted him to play
3: cornerback. We give coaches way too much credit. (laughs) You know, the only school that would allow Marshall Falk to play running back was San Diego State. Everybody else in the country thought of Marshall as a cornerback. He said, no, I'm a running back. And so he, he finished second to the Heisman Trophy voting in college as a running back. We just... It's amazing. Uh, Barry Sanders only got two Division One offers. Somebody, oh, uh, the the running back Hassan Haskins for Michigan only got a couple of Division One offers. And even Dan told us Deerorf, that at, at Michigan they wanted him to play linebacker, and he winds up being their best running back. It's really interesting how in high school it's hard to judge a player and hard hard, hard to project what he's going to be.
4: And isn't that interesting that that's something that pushed him and motivated him and that he still carries with him to yeah. this day?
3: yep. And by the way, that's a fireball offense for Les Miles right there. Throw away <laughs> all the other stuff.
4: Yeah, you, you had this guy and you told him, I don't think you're good enough to play receiver. Yeah.
3: Unbelievable. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up on 101 ESPN, I've got a very difficult question for Michelle, Michelle Smallman, and we're going to give you our picks because I'm off tomorrow for the AFC and NFC Championship Games. That's coming your way. And what's on tap on 101 ESPN?
1: We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Michelle and Randy down the stretch. BK and Ferrario coming up between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. and then the fast lane from 2 to 6 here on 101 ESPN leading up to Blues hockey pregame for the Blues and the Flames at 6 with Alex Ferrario and then at 7 o'clock Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale will have the call. Okay, Michelle, you are a 25-year-old quarterback. You're halfway between, well, Joe Burrow is what? He's 25, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Patrick Mahomes, 26. You are a, a young NFL quarterback, and I am giving you the choice to play the next five years with either Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, C.J. Uzama, and Joe Mixon, or... Mm-hmm. Tyreek Hill, uh, Nicole Hardman, Pringle, Travis Kelsey, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Which group of skill position players are you choosing to play quarterback with?
4: Oh, my gosh. Well,
3: and this is for you know the, the, the next good
4: news here is I don't think there's a wrong answer. No, there isn't. This but, is
3: for the next five years. Oh,
4: gosh. Well, my initial thought is that I would probably choose the Chiefs group just because I've seen them win a championship and I know how lethal they are but the thought of having Jamar Chase be my go-to guy for the next five years and getting him in his prime is pretty attractive but and obviously a lot of those other guys you mentioned very very severe weapons but gosh I just think Randy with what we've seen from that group of group of Chiefs players at the highest level I just can't say no to them
3: I don't necessarily Well, maybe I do. Tyreek Hill is 27. Got a lot of miles on him. He's been in the league now for half a dozen years. And my big concern here, and it might not be legitimate, I I will admit this, but Travis Kelsey is into his 30s now. And I wonder how much tread is left, obviously, for this year, a lot, but he's 32 years old. So... I got a bunch of guys that are 26 or younger. in Higgins, Boyd, Chase, Uzama, and Mixon. And Mixon is a legit running back. Clyde Edwards-Alaire has been hurt every year. I think I might, as much as I love the Chiefs guys, and I'm picking the Chiefs on Sunday, and I think they'll probably be back next year to be awesome. But if I were a quarterback... For the next five years, I think I might be inclined to go with the, the kids in Cincinnati rather than the the grizzled vets who are so awesome in Kansas City.
4: And we're seeing with the Bengals, these guys aren't afraid of the big stage. And a lot of that's coming from their quarterback, mm-hmm. who is instilling confidence in everyone in Cincinnati. But gosh, it would be hard to walk away from Tyreek Hill and from Travis yeah, Kelsey. Yeah, it really <laughs> would. Yeah.
3: Yeah and especially after what we saw in the fourth quarter and overtime last week.
4: And Travis Kelsey, how about that, where the mics caught him and he was telling Patrick Mahomes, hey, the seam is open. Isn't
3: that incredible?
4: Yeah, forget the play. The seam is open. Get it to me. I'll get it done. And he does. And that's you have to think about that, too. People that have the football intelligence and who've been there in those big moments when you trust your guys that much, that in the biggest moment of the season, with the pressure the highest, you can just trust them to go backyard football.
3: And you think about this, too. In the last minute and two of regulation, and four minutes and 15 seconds of overtime. So basically five minutes and 17 seconds. Last five minutes and 17 seconds of that game, in game time, the Chiefs scored 17 points. The Bills were allowing 17 points a game. Wow. So, so the Chiefs score 10 points in the last 102 of regulation, and then they score 415 into the OT against the defensive. To, for the season, it allowed 17 a game.
4: Those stats that are coming out of the final two minutes of regulation of that game, any anytime you read about it, any way you slice it, it's mind-blowing what we witnessed.
3: Yeah, and we're so lucky that we live in a time where we got to see it.
4: And you know what makes me so frustrated is we were so pumped for overtime because it was a continuation mm-hmm. of that epic game that we're watching, and it, we got the numbers back back. Everyone in the country was watching that game, seemingly. And then the fact that a coin toss decides it and ends it is so frustrating.
3: Well, no, Kansas City still had to score.
4: I know, but you knew whoever got the ball first was likely going to score. Both those quarterbacks were playing to perfection.
3: They were playing well. but I,
4: I think if Buffalo wins the coin toss, they take it and score. See, I, I just think the defenses were gassed, too. I mean, it was really difficult.
3: You had that game, and you never know what's going to happen. But the last game of the regular season, when San Francisco won in overtime against the Rams... Stafford throws an interception. You never know when an interception is going to occur. I give credit to that offense for Kansas City for going down the field and scoring.
4: I do, too. But as a consumer of the product, I would have liked Buffalo to get a chance to answer.
3: (laughs) All right. This weekend, the 2 o'clock game is Cincinnati at Kansas City. The Chiefs, Michelle, are a seven-point favorite. The over-under is 54.5. I think this game is going over. I do, too. I think the Chiefs cover, and I think Patrick Mahomes throws four more touchdown passes. I I like the Chiefs 35-24.
4: This was the more difficult of the two for me to pick. I keep going back to that Week 17 game where the Bengals did beat the Chiefs 34-31. I have a lot of confidence in Joe Burrow and that Chiefs, or excuse me, that Bengals offense. Especially in that game, they lit up the Chiefs defense that Mm -hmm. day. But gosh, Randy, I keep going back to two things. The fact that Joe Burrow took nine sacks and the offensive line play of the Bengals that we saw last weekend and just that Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense is essentially when they're right unstoppable. And I really, really, really this is a head-heart situation. My head is telling me to pick the Chiefs. My heart is telling Mm -hmm. me to pick the Bengals. And I'm always somebody that goes with heart over head. So it might be stupid of me, but I'm picking Cincinnati to win this one.
3: I go back to that 2007 season when Spags got a look at Brady and the the Patriots. Hadn't seen him before. And... and had a completely different game plan and just neutralized Brady in the Super Bowl. I have to believe that seeing Burrow in that offense will be a huge benefit to Spaggs. And everything that Joe Burrow has seen, even going into Pittsburgh, isn't as hostile as the environment that he'll encounter at Arrowhead.
4: But he's not phased by any environment.
3: I think every quarterback is phased. They'd be lying if they told you they aren't phased by going into Arrowhead.
4: So then that must play into your NFC Championship game pick because we know how crazy those 49er fans are.
3: I'm going to listen to <laughs> Joe Buck here. And I I do think that the 49ers are a physically tougher team. And I'm with Joe. I do think even with the fact that Cooper Cup, the all-world wide receiver, plays for the Rams, this game is going to come down to the running games. It's going to come down to the toughness of the lines. This game that ultimately is won in the trenches And I like the trenches, even with the presence of Aaron Donald. I like the group of offensive linemen for San Francisco better than I like the group of defensive linemen for the Rams. And I really like the group of defensive linemen for San Francisco better than I like the offensive line group for the Rams. So I'm going to say that this one, again, is... Maybe overtime, close though, 23 to 20. The Rams are a three and a half point favorite. I have the Niners winning outright. The over under is 46, and I think this game goes under at 43.
4: I think it's going to be a close one too. We talked about the 49er fans and the trouble that they gave the Rams the last times that the two teams met. The 49ers rallied from a 17 to nothing deficit in that game by the way ended up ended up beating the Rams to close out the season. But Randy, I just look at the overall scoreboard here. Shanahan has gotten the the best of McVay. He's 7 and 3 in 10 games against him. He's won 6 straight including two this year. He is as the kids say, McVay's daddy. He absolutely owns him. And if for no other reason I'm picking Shanahan over McVay. I pick the 49ers. I
3: like it. And by the way, Bet Rocchio picks San Francisco over the Rams 23-20 as well. Just a, just a really smart pick, Randy. I love everything you're thinking about. So it. that is definitely going to happen. This is just like the other night when I told everybody to get on their FanDuel Sportsbook app and bet Auburn to cover. Mm. So don't bet my stuff to cover. Don't bet my stuff okay i'm off tomorrow i will see (laughs) y'all on sunday from noon to two anthony stalter and i will preview the afc and NFC championship games for you and michelle is actually going to go out of town so we won't see each other for a couple of weeks until after the super bowl
4: i won't see you till february 16th randy how about that it's going to be a minute so take care of the show while i'm out
3: we'll do our best you have a safe trip
4: thank you and um, enjoy your time off tomorrow tell joan we all said happy birthday
3: i will do that uh, Matthew, thank you. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. I'm Matt Rocchio, our producer engineer. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. We have BK and Ferrario coming up from 10 to 2. Timmy Mack is off today, so no balloon party. Bummer. Until tomorrow morning at 7 for all of us. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the character and Smallman Podcast,
1: presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
6: Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts.
4: Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have
6: best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa.
2: Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.